On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are setting aside our usual batch of weekly shows for our traditional sweeping retrospective of all things that were over the past 12 months as we take a step back and examine the fickle beast that was 2022 and all the telly it brought with it. So, if you worry that you might have missed out on some of the best of the box had to offer this year, we are here to set you right and let you know everything you've been missing. Plus, we've got a couple of very lovely guests on the show this week here to talk about two of our absolute favourite shows of the year. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to our 2022 postmortem, a year in which Star Wars jumped a big old space shark twice, and then, defying all expectations, jumped straight back over it while yelling one way out. It was also the year of years, with 1883, 1889, and 1923 all vying for a place on your watch list. Uh, it was a year in which Netflix went on a killing spree and set fire to half its YA content, uh, where both C and... <sighs> My beloved expanse came to a tearful end, and and we all called Saul for the very last time. Uh, but on the flip side, Game of Thrones returned. It was accompanied by Lord of the Rings. We went back to the White Lotus, and Boyd admitted he'd been wrong about the Sandman, which was a very important part of the year. Uh, a year of multitudes, then, it's safe to say. Um, we'll be getting into some of that uh, over the next hour or so. But, but joining me as we delve into the morass that was this past year, I am joined by my two co-pilots for the show. And first up is a woman who began this year with lovely things like free time and a social life, only to have both of these things promptly snatched away when she was dragooned into joining our little show. It is special Kay Ribeiro. Hello. How you doing? Special as in the as in the serial role. As in the serial. Yes, thanks very much, James. I know that. Very much. Was that what you were called at school? Were you called Special K? Was that your name? Yeah, I had a lot of that. I had a lot of OKK. I mean, as you can imagine, (laughs) hilarity did ensue. Oh, very good. Very good. Mm. I do love school ground bad humor. puns yeah, yeah exactly. bad puns bad puns work for me work for me uh and also with us of course is pilot tv's beating heart a man who can chart the passage of the past 12 months by the limited edition trainers he virtually queued for in any given month <laughs> it is boyd hilton now boyd i have a very important question for you and that is what is the most exciting piece of footwear you acquired this year Ooh. That's a good oh, question. Oh, God, yeah, that caught me unaware. You need to prepare or, me for these uh, Or it could questions. be like, a, what about a Supreme Jumper as well? Because it could be like... Well, we saw one with EQ'd for uh, one of the Supreme Jumpers while doing this show. Mm. And while I, was I mean, the best, the best item of streetwear if I, I'm gonna, is, is was um, the, the Supreme Box logo jumper um, that I got two weeks ago in the, in the, uh, in the drop, which is um, it's a dark kind of dark navy logo across a gr- white light gray uh top it's color that they've never done before okay. basically so everyone wants what, this navy? particular <laughs> navy oh, revolutionary well it's the combination case you, right. you may mock you may mock <laughs> i'm not i'm not this particular I just combination asked a question. this particular combination i don't believe had been done before and so everyone they did a navy it. bogo it's it's a it's it's a heather grey bogo with a navy yeah the, with a navy ish um, bogo yeah that was um, oh, okay strange okay. for Got me it. hasn't been an incredibly exciting year for trainers you know, I have to say so yeah that but that was definitely the most exciting streetwear item I got sure. a very nice uh, cashmere sweater from from M and S does that does that count Ooh, no yeah. is it machine yeah. washable James M and S must well, be I suppose you can do it in the wool the delicate wool cycle of your of your washer <laughs> yeah, you know that's, that's the, listen mm. that is the beauty of M and S cashmere. Let me tell you. <laughs> you can watch mm-hmm. it in a machine. Yes. Amazing, amazing. It is, uh, it's not Navy, boy, sorry. You know, no. it's not an exclusive, it's not an exclusive Navy blend. By the way, it it's m- not the Navy-ness that makes it unique. Usually the box logo is red, you see, more often than not. 
Yes, and yes. And they do experiment with it quite a lot. But this particular, co- I cannot stress enough, it's this combination <laughs> of the navy and the, and the, and the heather grey together. Would you like to know my favourite of your Supreme Things, boy? Oh, yeah, go on. It, it, is your, it is your sort of, I, I don't know what you'd call it, teal or aqua mm. or just turquoise, but it's yeah. that, that jewel-encrusted, is it Vivian Westwood? What is it? It's a no, collab it's, thing uh, one that you've got, the T-shirt. With, yeah, with uh, that jewellery company whose name I've forgotten the name of. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that Swarovski. I don't know what is it. No. Um, <laughs> what was that company? While he's looking that is up, is it Tiffany? Is it De Beers? Can what is I it? ask James if your um, was your jumper black? Were you keeping the milk tray look going? I think uh, yeah, it was- I, uh, yeah, it was black. Yes, yeah. good I, classic I, black. I am a little oh, bit milk Tiffany. tray in my, in my dress. It was Tiffany. It was Tiffany. Okay, yeah, it was good. Tiffany. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Well done. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to start getting those on business cards, Kate. You know, like the little milk tray when it has just the little <laughs> outline of the guy, like with his arms folded, that little, and I yeah, just leave it with a definitely... box of milk tray in people's bedrooms. Although I think that's frowned upon these days, and I think it's called stalking. Y- yes, so very much so. Do not do that. Do that. No, You've got your okay. cease and desist orders. Yeah, let's, let's, let's not break into people's houses and leave them boxes of chocolates because it's weird. Right. Anyway, anyway, uh, let's let's begin this actual show because at some point we also need to finish it. Where do we begin? Well, let's go through our best shows of the year list uh, in due course. Before we do that, let's take a look at our personal standouts of the year. So I'm thinking best individual episodes without egregious spoilers that we saw this year. Who would like to go first well mine would fall in the category of it's going to come in the top 20 so i don't know if i should mention it well, really, an I? episode that's an okay. individual episode yeah. you can pull out it doesn't okay, matter fine. where it comes or whether it's, it's a show that's covered okay, fine, that's fine. fine okay i would say the dairy girls extended finale mm, the agreement the, yes with mm. the the cameo from chelsea clinton and just a, a the perfect ending to the whole show the and the last series i thought it was just excellent so that for me i think was a real sort of standout it is an incredible episode. I'll be honest, the, the cameo meant nothing to me. Like I was really underwhelmed by Did that. Did you know who she was? Chelsea Clinton. Once it was explained to me, yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, why, I, maybe. It didn't mean yeah. anything to you. Well, I didn't know her on site. I know what Chelsea Clinton looks like. I was like, who's this person? Like, what is this? And then someone's like, I was Chelsea Clinton. I'm like, oh, okay, I know who that is. I still don't know why I care. Uh, and so I did, obviously. You know, I know that Bill was kind of in an earlier episode. Mm-hmm. I know that, you know. But I, yeah, so that I found a little bit like, is this is this meaningful in a way that I don't fully understand? Because I don't fully understand. But nevertheless, it was a great finale, and I thought Orla had her wonderful choreographed dance sequence, yeah. and it was just yeah, it was it was beautiful. That was fab. Yeah, it's a beautiful episode of television. Yeah, um, yeah. So you've narrowed it down to that one, Kate. You've, you, you're not even. Um, you're not just one. I mean, I've got obviously a whole list. Of course, you've got you've fifteen got of them. I just wanted to kick yeah. off the proceedings. No, you're boys. Pure, yeah. purist. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Very good. No, I'll think of some other. Also, because I hadn't maybe done my homework, so uh, I just threw that go. one out. She's <laughs> a rebel. Yeah, she's yeah. mm-hmm. a rebel. I'm yeah. just freestyling. I too had the episode of Derry Girls on the uh, on my list. Also, I would add the Stranger Things episode four, season four, episode four, Dear Billy, which is the mm. one with running up that hill. Very Where, good. Um, Very iconic. Good. I mean, if you're narrowing it down to one sequence, even that sequence was unbelievably powerful and very exciting. We're watching it for the first time before. I mean, you know, it went on to literally revive Kate Bush's. I mean, she, she doesn't need her career to be revived because she does what she does, but it did bring her brilliance, her genius to a whole new audience and made her. She did an interview on Woman's Hour and she was, you know. Top of the news on BBC. It was an incredible moment. So the kids it, discovered her. Yeah, but to see it actually happen in real time—not real time—but you know, you know what I mean—to actually watch it before you knew they were using one of the greatest songs of all time, 
and how powerful the use was of that song. It was all about that song that Max, the, the Sadie Six character, Max, was her favourite song. And she was kind of like brought round from having been practically killed by that monster thing. What was that monster called? What? V- Vecna. 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 That's it, yeah. And yeah. was was fantastic. So yeah, the whole thing was incredible. Like watching it for the first time and then what, the, the echo, the ripples afterwards. Barry, I'm, I'm sure Beth, Beth formerly of this parish, Beth's officially gone. She'll be back hopefully for various, you know, special appearances. But she she was hoping to be able to join in us with this episode. If you want, people are wondering why she's not here, she's she's right busy right now putting her section to bed, I believe. She is, yes. For the next issue of Empire, even though the new issue is not only out tomorrow as we speak. Anyway, she would absolutely pick, and I, I agree with her, Barry, episode six of the last season with the motorbike chase, the incredibly thrilling brilliantly directed um, motorbike chase uh, was fantastic. The whole of the last series of, of Barry was phenomenal, but that episode in particular was a, a massive standout for me, I think, and Beth. It's one of her favourite shows. I would add, I was thinking about this, The Crown has was a very variable season mm. with a lot of flawed issues. There's one weird episode which opened with the Russian Russians being gunned down in a massacre, which was completely ill-advised, I thought. But the penultimate episode, which was called Couple 31, not only dealt with the Panorama interview and the fallout from it, it also had this incredible scene, I think the best scene in the history of the show, where Charles went back to see Diana at her flat and they kind of discussed their failed relationship and they cook an omelette together. Do you remember, I don't know if you, if you saw this scene, an omelette. Yeah, it was an omelette based. I mean, I love an omelette based episode. Of anyway. All- <laughs> um, of all so, the things I thought they'd prepare together, yeah. an omelette was not uh, one. Have of them. you not finished the crown yet, Kate? No, I no, haven't. No, I back. need to. Yeah. This episode was absolutely brilliant, and it was completely like it, it went. It started off spoiler alert with almost like a rapprochement, I believe is the is the word between the two of them and them trying to understand each other and being quite mature and understanding about it. But then sure enough, they kind of end up having a really horrible bit of twisted argument anyway. But I thought it was so brilliantly written and it kind of reminded you of what was so good about this show to start with, you know, with all the kind of, forget all the gimmicks and all the questions of what's historically accurate or not. That scene with the two of them thrashing out was incredibly moving and interesting. Um, So I love that. Maybe those, yeah, maybe I've narrowed it down to them. Yeah, I think I've narrowed it down to them. Successfully. Okay, mm. some good ones there. Uh, I've got a few. I'm not going to talk about this one. I'm just going to give you the episode title because we're going to talk about the show a little bit later on. But season one, episode nine of a certain show, The We We Are, uh, which we will get into in the main list. But that's that's an incredible episode of television. I would say the plan and execution episode of Better Call Saul, which I think was episode oh, seven, yeah. Yeah. which was something else entirely really really, i mean that whole final season was amazing but that just packed such a punch it really did Uh, i thought that was great the lord of the tides episode of house of the dragon was really really good as well loved that one i mean that whole series i really like but that one in particular which ends with someone should we say being silenced mid uh comment in a way that frankly i would like to do in issue meetings so uh (laughs) (laughs) that was brilliant yeah yeah. Which, invo- which which prompted many, many, get my wife's name out of your fucking mouth memes, oh, which I enjoyed mm-hmm. a great deal. Uh, I thought that was very funny. Um, the Generation Loss episode of Westworld would have been on my list as well, uh, which is the one where you find out what's buried in the desert, uh, which is a really good one. Because like, let's be honest, like the most I know the finale of this fourth and final season of Westworld uh, was divisive and maybe not brilliant, but the season building up to that had loads of great stuff in it. So I thought that was a really good one as well. Uh, but really for me, the 
the standouts of this year, uh, and there are two of them. In particular, they are The Sound of Her Wings, which is the best episode of The Sandman, which is the death episode of The Sandman, and the one with Hob Gadling. Because uh, Kirby Howe Baptiste is fantastic as death. And just that whole, it's just brilliant, because it's like an episode of those two halves, where you have the first half, which is all about how death is inevitable, and then the second half, which is all about how life is actually worth living. And it's just, it's a, it's a beautifully constructed episode of television. The one which takes place in the diner, which is all fucking kinds of far out, gross, horrible shit. That's a really good episode as well, but it's not quite as perfect. Uh, and then my episode of the year is, of course, One Way Out, which is the uh, the Andor episode. But again, we're going to get onto that a little bit as well. But lest we forget, lest we forget, a lot of other stuff happened this particular year. Like I say, C ended. We got the finale of C. This third season of C, I've got to be honest, probably was the weakest of the three. Like I liked mm. it, don't get me wrong, because it was C, but it wasn't quite up to the level of the previous two. Although it did have a bit of a gut punch finale. And if you haven't seen it, you really should do. And the end of The Expanse. The Expanse ended at the beginning of this year. Where will it appear on our top 20 list? I think we can all agree it's just secretly at number one. We just don't talk about it. But it was, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that was that was a very special moment for me. And I think that ended beautifully as well. So that was, uh, that was a really good one. Uh, and then, of course, Bosch, which had gone, returned triumphantly with Bosch Legacy. So that was, uh, that was a nice moment. I've, I've just remembered a couple of episodes, sorry. Uh, well, there's the, the bear, the bear. The bear, yes. Which I think the whole series, because I think I really enjoyed it, but I, I definitely remember thinking, oh, you know, this isn't like, Super special and amazing, but then the what? episode review, which was review. had one mm. shot, the one shot that lasted like fifteen twenty minutes, where they're the madness, the whole day going horribly wrong, uh, the restaurant and everything being fucked up, and um, people getting accidentally stabbed and stuff was was incredible. Happens to us all, yeah. And also, of course, um, the White Lotus. We have to keep forgetting the White Lotus in all sorts of catch because it only finished recently. But the episode that ended the with, the, with the season defining shag shagging um the controversial shagging that basically opened why is it controversial i just don't get it oh we've had this discussion so anyway whatever whatever fine okay fine the fact that he literally changed the whole thing because tanya saw this event and which yes okay yes i mean everything about it was unbelievably um important and significant and shocking and interesting and and incredible so yeah but I think there are probably more that I've forgotten, but there we go. There's an episode of Euphoria that was amazing. Yeah, the the um, drug withdrawal episode was Zendaya had to, yeah, was kind of being forced to stop taking drugs. And even because that was a very, uh, we'll talk about the controversy um, of us not having it in the top 20, spoiler alert, but that episode was un- extraordinary and powerful and moving and sh- and disturbing and everything. It had everything, basically. Um, whereas I think there was a lot of variable issues about that series i loved it i did really enjoy it but i think that's really why it's not in the top 20 but that episode was incredible i want to throw in a scene actually i just thought of one yeah there you go see once you start thinking about it i know that's the thing um i hate Susie too Mm. yeah that's ed right yeah yeah so there's this we're just is it ed today tomorrow it'll be it's boxing day as we go out so oh yeah sure fine so in our make-believe world, it's out already. Yeah. And I just think there's this scene with Billy Piper and Sandry Tao, which was so extraordinary, right? To see, like, Sandry Tao's aren't on TV, guys, okay? And the application, re-application, and the whole context of it was so, I just think Lucy Preble was so bold and, like, honest. and ref- It was just so refreshing and extraordinary to see. And I think it was just a superb scene. I know it probably makes everyone feel squeamish me hear, hearing no, me say that, but it was just oh, incredible. 
Oh yeah. Well, Mr. I would also Mr. say Mr. Not at all. No. No, no. Uh, the reason why I say not at all is actually one of the things that I can't mention. But there's a there's a scene in a show next year which involves a post-apocalyptic moon cup. So <laughs> oh, you can God. you can look forward to a post-apocalyptic oh, moon God. cup. I think and we I was all thinking, know what this show is. I, I was thinking. I was watching. I was thinking. You know what? That's really sensible and practical given the post-apocalyptic scenario. I was like, that's 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 in your, writing there. In your article about this show, have you discussed that? Um, and, and I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about, boys. No, I, don't, okay. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what you're speaking. That's about. definitely a box out. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Yes, post-apocalyptic so moon cups in so uh, in TV shows. Uh, guilty pleasures. I want to talk a little bit about guilty pleasures because like, this has been a year where I, I think we've all needed guilty pleasures. I mean, I say this has been a year. We've also had the pandemic. We needed them then, but we need them still now as we face the world falling apart. Uh, and for me, my guilty pleasures this year have included, but are not limited to, everything I know about love, which actually, to be fair, was a very good show, not just mm. a guilty pleasure. I mean, your, was... your misuse of the phrase guilty pleasure is so yeah. ridiculous. And also, let's just stop using guilty pleasure because yeah. you just mean you know, right, it's just right, not okay. a thing. You mean, let me... James' definition of guilty pleasure is a comedy or a show on ITV. Yeah, <laughs> yeah something that's, that's off-brand. Something that that's not true. on brand for him, yeah. basically. But that's it. I suppose for me, it's something that's off-brand. So everything I know about Love and the Flat Share were both, for me, like a bit guilty. But <laughs> the things that I disappeared down a rabbit hole and couldn't stop watching them. Yeah, and that's fine. Um, it's legitimately okay. Yeah. So it's, yeah. whereas, whereas actual guilty pleasures probably include Fate the Wink Saga and, like, Warrior Nun, maybe. Mm. Uh, uh, Warrior so Nun, those would be actual, yeah. uh, actual guilty pleasures. Although, weirdly, not A Discovery of Witches. So the final season of A Discovery of Witches aired this year, and I didn't watch it. I watched the beginning and then gave up. So don't know what happened there. Went off the witches. I'm refusing to use the term, but something I enjoyed, which I'm sure wouldn't be uh, previewed on this podcast. Actually, it should be because it's big. Bridgerton 2, series 2. I enjoyed oh, yes, that. Oh, yes, the sex-free oh. sex yes. season yeah. of Bridgerton. No. No. Well, you know, no, there was, there was plenty of sexy romps, I think. But anyway, Anthony Bridgerton and also a lot of non-white characters. I was incredibly happy about that. Um, Asian lead characters. Um, I thought the second season was even better than the first. Oh, so, yeah, that was my absolutely I, not. No, controversial yeah, I, view. No. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. Mm. I really bought into their love affair. Yeah. So you look at Boyd. Boyd's like, no rumpy pumpy, no Boydy. That's it. Yeah, yeah. He's having none of it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there wasn't so much. There was some. It just made us wait till about the episode episode five. Yeah, until which anything, is fine. Also, until anything interesting happened as well. I mean, it was. Delayed mm. gratification, Boydy. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Clearly, that's what it was all about. So. I don't think so. Bring on Bridgerton <laughs> three, this way, series be, three. I, I guarantee you they'll be remedying that in uh, in season three without any yeah. doubt. It's going to be well, hardcore fucking from the get go. Yeah. Exactly. Please. Exactly. Okay, we'll have a bet on that. Well, we'll see. We'll see what's in store. Okay, fine. No more guilty pleasures. The guilty pleasure of the year, without any doubt whatsoever. And, and I don't. Oh, I feel, know what you're going to say. Yeah, I don't feel guilty about anything. But this particular um, show, and because it's not in our wheelhouse, literally, we don't really do um, non-scripted entertainment. But the traitors. Yeah. The traitors <laughs> is the definition. Oh my God. Of the guilty pleasure of the year, the surprise no, of the no year. No, no guilty. It's just pleasurable. Yeah, it's pleasure. amazing. Yeah. I'm, f- I'm obsessed with it. Mm. So obsessed, James. So is most You've got to give the, a go. Most of the real world, apart from James. No, no, no. Uh, traitors fact, Kay. Did you know? You know, there's an American version starting soon. Do you know yes. who's hosting yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. No, who? Alan Cumming. The what? actor, yes. Yeah, he would be yes. good at it, actually. He would be fantastic. That might almost make it um, reviewable on the show, maybe, James? No, maybe? no, no. He no. would be great. That's no. a great role for him. Yeah, Alan Cumming is fantastic, um, and I like him in almost anything. But oh, I'm James, it's so good. Like, it, do you know what? Like, I spend a lot of time thinking about it when I'm not, when the episode's we not on, because I'm just thinking about all the betrayal and yeah. the trait. Oh, God, the treachery. Are you thinking about just... Aaron's tight trousers? 
Is that what you mean? I do love Aaron. Aaron's Aaron has the tightest trousers in the history of the world ever. <laughs> I they wasn't are okay. looking unbelievable. James. He's got puppy, puppy dog eyes, and he's just very—he's a pure, pure soul. He's just a very mm. sweet guy. Anyway, sorry, James, for bringing that. Oh no, uh, that's fine. That's fine. Oh, no, James um, is opening his mind. It's fine. Uh, well, it's not really. Not, not really happening. By a millimeter. <laughs> yeah. Well. Before we move on to mm. the big list, uh, Boydie mentioned earlier on that he thought the White Lotus was given short shrift, so let's address that right up front, uh, and let's have our first guest. Now, you have already heard Boyd wax lyrical about the White Lotus on many previous podcasts, uh, so let's hear from one of the stars himself, Will Sharp, who plays Ethan in this year's second season, and who I'm reliably informed is pivotal to this series of an excellent show that I've clearly not seen. I suspect there will be a degree of spoileriness in this interview, is that right, Boydie? 100%. Yeah, it's like a spoiler yep. special chat. Yeah, It's a big old spoilery chat with Will Sharp. So if you haven't seen season two of The White Lotus, you're going to want to skip ahead a bit and avoid this one. So this is me giving you a little bit of notice. Uh, so if you are now prepared for White Lotus season two spoilers, this is Boydie and Will Sharp. Hi, Will. Uh, thanks for joining us on the Pilot TV podcast. And congratulations on a phenomenal series of the white lotus oh thank you when did you get to see the episodes have you seen the finale before it went out on on sky like last night i actually haven't seen it yet ah um so i've been getting texts from the states we were sent links but not for the final episode right, right. yeah obviously i know what happens yeah uh, but i have i'm yet to watch it oh exciting so is it weird like to be part of a show where you've got your storyline and then you've got, mm-hmm. for example, Jennifer Coolidge's storyline, which is a completely different thing. You obviously you may have, you've read those scripts, but when you see the finished episodes, is that quite a weird thing to see how it all pieces together? I mean, it's a really lovely thing, I think, because you know we all spent a great deal of time together out in Sicily and sort of got quite close as an ensemble. Um, but you know, as you saw, like the stories don't intersect all that much, and so really the only glimpses we would catch is if you know, our group was in the back of Jennifer's dinner scene or Michael's dinner scene. Uh, And so one of the nicest things about watching uh, the series back is to be able to watch uh, what everyone else is doing and how brilliantly they're doing it. You know, I I really find it hard to fault anyone. I think it's such a strong uh, ensemble. And so that was a really delightful part of it, to be honest. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I mean, the finale has. I mean, you you have a lot of remarkable um, scenes in the finale, particularly. What was the hardest uh, to film the the fight in the sea with Theo James or the scene of intimacy with Aubrey Plaza? Well, yeah, like you say, you know, Ethan has sort of simmered away quietly for the majority of the series, and it's only really at the very end that he kind of comes to life and sort of releases all of that tension and. I felt like a big part of that is sort of feeling like, well, you know, I need to fight for this marriage and realizing the mistakes that he's made along the way. And rather than focusing on like, you know, the misfortune uh, that has come by him sort of realizing that he's made his own mistakes as well. And I guess there's a degree to which it's kind of like, well, this is a game that he hasn't really wanted to play, but I think he's realized that he has to play it. And so it's kind of like, well, Okay, let's put, all right, let's play. And so it all sort of starts coming out. Um, the fight scene was sort of physically exhausting. Um, and I remember <laughs> by the end having to sort of eat something, some kind of sugary pastry between every take just to kind of like keep my energy up. But it was a lot of fun. Uh, and it was a lot of fun to choreograph it with Theo uh, and the stunt 
coordinators and try and work out like what's what's the good level of sort of realism, but also two people who don't really know how to fight, who just find themselves in an ocean. And, you know, he's, you know, very sort of coordinated and accommodating. And so it felt like we could really kind of go for it. Um, and so that was really, you know, one of the most fun days of shooting, I think. In terms of like the scene at the end, I, I, I felt like in some ways, you know, people say about sex scenes that it's, they always should serve some other story purpose. It can't just be simply about the sex. And a lot of people have talked about how this series explores sexual politics and sex through this series means lots of different things. Sometimes it's sort of transactional. Sometimes there's some kind of mind game at play. And But there is also a version of sex where it's about love, I suppose. And so that was my sort of focus, really. And I, I felt like in a funny way, you know, Aubrey and I had both invested a lot in this relationship and wanted there to be stakes. But for the majority of the series they're not in a great place and a lot of all of those scenes in their hotel room were shot uh, right at the end of the schedule and so it felt like you know we're becoming friends offset but then going to work and sort of arguing often in a very heated way for sort of 12 hours at a time and so it was nice actually just to have a scene where we could be kind to each other I bet, yeah, yeah, because those confrontations, like the the confrontation in the hotel room in the finale, um, where you are, where he, he's so convinced that she's lying to him, it's so interesting that you're kind of like a laser focus on, on the extent to which he's lying and getting the truth from her. That's such a powerful confrontation. What, what how do you can you kind of describe how uh, Mike White writes those scenes and how he manages to achieve such a element of power to those? Well, he's very unafraid, I think, of the sort of gnarliest darkest you could say messiest aspects of how humans interact um and so you know for a lot of the scenes leading up to that point often i suppose i would come in come in wanting to maybe offset the tension or the toxicity and to find some way of kind of softening it but he would always encourage me to find the most the sort of bleakest, hardest version, I suppose. And I noticed how, like watching it back, I noticed how, in a funny way, a lot of the other stories, a lot of the other characters explore kind of different kinds of fantasy. And a lot of the time, you know, it might be a dark fantasy, but it's still a fantasy, whereas Harper and Ethan are sort of trapped in this very harsh reality. And I think I know that Mike wanted Ethan to be a sort of enigma, uh, towards the beginning of the series and for us to be guessing which way is this supposed to go. And I think the way, I mean, he's written with a lot of restraint up, up to that point. So I knew that that was the point where we needed to start to release some of that tension and Mike uh, would push me, push me to do that. And I guess it's just because they know each other, you know, like they, so I feel like Ethan can, can read Harper and the same way in, you know Harper's heart she can sense that even if she doesn't know exactly what the condom wrapper means she can sense that something is awry and all the way through the series they've both been battling with this sort of what what's going on with our marriage and why is this not working the way it used to so that's where the stakes come from and that's why it matters to Ethan, I think. And even if it comes out in quite a volcanic way, shall we say, like it's because he really wants, he really wants to fight for it somehow. Um, and he believes that 
in that moment, at least, rightly or wrongly, he believes that knowing the truth is important. It was, a, again, like a, one of the most challenging scenes to film, but also ultimately one of the most rewarding, I think. It's a fantastic, absolutely fantastic scene, yeah. How did you feel about the, the physicality of, of the character? Like, you know, it's, it's a very exposed, I mean, almost every character, it's a very exposing show. That's part of the brilliance of it, isn't it? That we see you almost literally naked and your raw right. emotions. How, how did you feel about taking on that role? Again, for me, like those moments always made sense from a story point of view. And there was an intimacy coordinator and we'd always talked it through to make sure everyone was comfortable. And so like, if it's a scene about he's having a shower while they have a conversation, I'm just thinking about what the scene's about and how, you know, it's weird that Harper's just walked in on him jerking off and he just tells her that that's what he's been doing. And then it doesn't even seem to turn into a big fight or a big moment and what does that say about their relationship if they become so close that they've almost sort of without realizing grown apart and similarly for the other moments it, it always you know you talk it through beforehand to make sure it's within the bounds of what you're comfortable with but it was the scenes were always about something else so i was my focus was always on on that really Obviously, you're a writer, director yourself. How does your approach differ from, or how does Mike White's approach to that differ from yours, would you say? I don't know. I mean, like he's a, you know, obviously a very different creator. And I, I think one of the rare privileges of being a writer-director who also acts is that you do get to be on um, other people's sets. And there's always something to learn from it, I think. Uh, and I certainly felt like I learned um, a great deal from working with Mike, I really... You know, I was a fan of his already and really enjoyed spending time with him and sort of doubling down on this storyline and kind of getting right to the bottom of it. I mean, like I said, I, I always felt like ultimately there are some pieces of light in the way that he tells our particular story. Um, and I know that that can, as a writer, that can make you feel vulnerable sometimes. It felt like a real privilege to be a part of a story where he, he was you know, at least holding a window open to some kind of hope. But he really is absolutely fearless about going, you know, right to the sort of depths and, you know, the most complex, poisonous, darkest corners of, of any human relationship. And so that was, um, that was an experience. And often I felt like, you know, he really had to push me out of my comfort zone to behave in a way that, you know, I always needed to find a motivation for it and to find like work out where it was coming from for Ethan. And I always felt like ultimately it was to do with a fear and sometimes a sort of paralyzing fear that this relationship with Harper is, you know, he starts to worry that maybe it isn't working. Why is it not working? And so perhaps that's why sometimes he behaves in an unfortunate way. But yeah, I, I really felt like I learned a lot from working with Mike and I really enjoyed it. When you first read the script, did you what did you make of of, of the character? Because his uptightness, I guess, is what we, we I felt anyway, to start with, was was what we mainly noticed about. And I really felt that, like, I've met so many people like that. And, you know, possibly there's a part of that myself that feels constricted almost. Did you, did you, did you how did you feel about him? For me, the final episode makes, made sense of his journey. And like, as I say, it was written with a great deal of restraint up to that point. And uh, there are various reasons for, I think, why he's behaving a certain way. And some of that is probably just his personality, um, but also I think where he's at with Harper and what happens when he's set against Cameron and Daphne and all of this, like it very qu quickly starts to get quite co complicated and quite messy between all four of them, which is what's sort of fun about that matrix, I guess. 
And the other thing that, you know, I don't know what kind of conversations Mike had with the rest of the cast, but he was quite upfront with me about, you know, people's suspicions are going to move around and they're going to think what they want to think, but that he did want it to be possible for people to imagine that Ethan might end up killing someone. And so I, I sort of knew that he needed to be sufficiently inscrutable that you might wonder privately kind of playing the long game of, but really this is all about, it's privately sort of playing the love story, I guess, and that he wants to get back to that place with Harper, but not giving too much of that away. So it was, I thought it was, and he's also morally gray. He's not sort of sickly sweet, nor is he sort of a cartoon villain. So I thought all of that was very interesting. How he sort of behaves as a man, I think is also very interesting. And, you know, a lot of the time you're sort of seeing him and experiencing him, if you like, from Harper's point of view. And some of that is very uncomfortable, I think, but it's sort of important thing to explore. And I think Mike has done that in a very honest um, and sort of captivating way. That's so interesting. But there's also that key conversation he has with Daphne in the final episode where Daphne almost kind of shows him another way of thinking about infidelity and sex. That's such an interesting kind of chat they have, do you think? that? And what do you think that says about this series' kind of take on modern on sex and sexuality? Well, I think the series is sort of asking questions, and I haven't seen how it sort of has been cut together yet, but in the playing of it, it always felt like, is either of these couples perfect? And Daphne is a really fascinating character in that, you know, she seems to have found a way of being that works for her. And I think it's that self-awareness more than anything. And I loved, you know, Megan and I were often in scenes together, but very few scenes where it was just the two of us. And I really thought it was like incredible to watch her uh, doing that. And, and I guess in some ways it's a moment of intimacy, like what exactly happens on that island is is up for interpretation. But regardless, like it's a moment of connection between them. And And in a way, like watching the series, I think all of the conversations about satire of the privileged, you know, gender politics, sexual politics, they're all valid. But also I sort of see, and I don't know if it's just because I know the cast, but I sort of see you know, a bunch of characters all in their own way trying to find some kind of connection. And that is a rare moment of that, I guess, uh, between those two characters. Because he does, one of the things that I think Mike, Mike White does so brilliantly is, uh, you alluded this, to this yourself, that where some dramas might not include certain key moments because they're, you know, confrontations and really raw moments and mo- those moments of uh, intimacy. But he completely, all, um, all of this White Lotus seems to be all about showing those moments, which is very bold and different isn't it yeah and, and i my interpretation of that is almost that if he is going to say anything hopeful it's almost like well let's first acknowledge all of these difficult complicated things before i say that um so that you know that i'm not ignoring that if you like and and that does make it in some you know he's not shy about making his characters uncomfortable he's not shy about making the audience uncomfortable but the hope is that in so doing, you know, he's saying something that is interesting and complicated and rare and that has some sense of truth in it. First series was, was a, you know, kind of turned into a, a bit of a phenomenon. The second series has as well. The, the sense of anticipation for this finale, you know, the ratcheting up of tension that he brilliantly handles. Are you surprised by quite the extent to which it's become a phenomenon? Well, I guess the success of the first season meant that on the one hand, there was a kind of pressure for us all to deliver. 
um, and particularly, I guess, of Mike to deliver, which um, it really feels like he has. Um, but it also meant that there was an awareness of the show and an appetite for it. And I think what's brilliant about how he has tackled the second season is how it's of a piece with the first season, but it's also entirely its own thing. It tonally feels like it has its own, you know, it's affected by the Sicilian location and um, the stories are different and its focus is slightly different. So, yeah, it's slightly surreal, I guess, you know, um, but good for good for him, I think. You know, I, I really, I know he worked really hard on it. Um, and so I'm really happy that it's been, uh, sounds like it's been really well received. So that's exciting. When you when you watch it back and you see, for example, like did you did you get to hang out at all with you know the Jennifer Coolidge's and the other characters and Tom Hollander etc. Or were you kind of completely separate? No, we did all sort of hang out variously. I guess most of my time was spent with um, you know us four, uh, uh, but did meet Jennifer, did meet Tom, and you know Michael Nado, and like there were lots of sort of cast dinners where there were opportunities to sort of get to know each other, and there was like a little sort of local bar around the corner from the hotel, which became a sort of, you know, evening haunt. It was fascinating. And, and I felt really lucky to be a part of such a brilliant cast, honestly. And when you read, for example, the the, um, the storyline about Tanya, the, the quite spectacular kind of violent ending of um, the series, what did you make of that? I guess surprise and r- respect for Mike. And, you know, it takes a minute to process almost. And it's sort of like fun it's sort of like fun but also deeply tragic deeply sad in many ways um and i don't know i almost want to say kind of punk in a way like he really mike is really unafraid to do what he feels is right and he's sort of mischievous in that way and knows how to provoke it, i guess it was a part of the overall experience of reading those scripts of just feeling so much respect for how he spins all these different plates and he really does cater to all the different storylines and they all feel like they speak to each other thematically even if they don't interact but yeah what a bold what a bold move i think the phrase you got this is going to go down in tv history though <laughs> to herself yeah. Um, now, of course, Tanya was moved from series one to series two, and you know, I, I might one of my feelings that watch, watching the finale was how much I'm going to miss, particularly your character and your the four of you was such a kind of interesting group. I mean, he, could, was, is there a possibility that you might go on to series three? Has that been discussed? Have you any idea about that? There's been no discussion, uh, so yeah, it's anyone's guess at this point. And overall, um, did the script and from script to screen, did the scenes kind of basically follow quite closely what he, you initially read in the script? Does, does, he, does things change around much? Does he throw things in, throw new ideas in uh, as you're filming? I mean, we would we would often talk about the scene, and there might be sort of small changes here and there. Um, and he was very collaborative about that. But it's sort of most of it is very similar to you know the drafts that we originally read. And there might be some occasions where we were kind of allowed to play loose and improvise, but often that would be if the scene was about something specific and there's a conversation going on, you know, somewhere else that is not really the focus. And so again, you know, like a a relaxed feeling approach, but real precision actually uh, going on. As I say, I'm going to miss Ethan a lot. Do you, do you, as an actor, having played that character for, you know, during that quite a long time of filming, do you, do you miss the character when you have to say goodbye and when when it finishes? I mean, it takes a minute to, shake him off uh, i'm not sort of trained as an actor i came in through comedy and i've always learned through doing 
Uh, but Mike would sometimes come up to me and be like, are you a method actor? I'd be like, no. Um, and I'm not on purpose. But I guess I do think about their predicament. And maybe because Ethan is so withheld for a lot of the um, series and there's sort of particular scenes towards the end where I knew that I needed to deliver in that sort of window of time that I did find myself carrying him around with me quite a lot. So I don't know if miss him, but I definitely felt like it took a minute to sort of shake him off for sure. And finally, um, your own next project, what are, you, are you working on something at the moment and can you say anything about it? So uh, I'm developing principally two projects at the moment. Uh, I've written a film script that is a love story set against a period of history that I think is slightly under-examined and that I've wanted to write about for a while. And then I've also written the first episode of a series that is set in a kind of post-Jacobian sci-fi world. And both of those... You know, I'll start pitching in earnest soon alongside, you know, reading scripts as they come in and just thinking about next year. Thank you. Well, thanks so much. And congratulations on, on, a, on your role in an amazing series. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Okay. It is time for the list. Now, each year we do look through the listings and painstakingly assemble a definitive pilot TV list of the best shows of the year, which in this case largely involved Boyd and I yelling at each other. <laughs> Well, Beth and Kay went off to make some tea while eye-rolling liberally. Now, now we do have a list, and it is canon. Uh, so without further ado, let's run through it and see if said list still holds up. I know for a fact that Boyd is already, despite having been, you know, an architect of said list, has already disavowed it. So, you know, let's see how this Hold goes. On. You are the architect, I uh, basically, and you should be yes. sure to have a canon. And, um, right. That's okay. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. So, yes, if you have problems with this, just blame me, apparently. Yeah. Good so, one, Boydo. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. At number 20, a show I did not vote for, <laughs> but is on the list regardless, it is The Responder. Which obviously should be much higher. Um, <laughs> I started the year. This, is, this has um, double impact for me because I started the year. Um, with hosting the Q&A for The Responder. Oh, here we go. Wait a minute. I've, is this list going to be like manipulated and influenced by the fact that of all the kind of hosting duties you've done? No, I'm just... Yeah, as, it's just Boyd's I, mates. I'm, I'm, sensing some, I'm sensing yeah, I'm some corruption. I'm making it clear when I have corruption. hosted a thing to make it clear to, to, to any accusations okay. of corruption or... I've got my um, eye on this situation. Bias. I just want you to know. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that I... Yeah, I was the first thing hosted. I think it was the first week of January. 2022 and i remember i got covid a few days after and hmm. slightly blame martin freeman it might be martin freeman who gave me COVID. <laughs> you heard it you heard it here first martin freeman gave Boydie COVID. <gasps> no no i'm not saying that for sure but um sounds like it no no, no. Um, i actually like saw it. him i actually saw him a few months later and told him this and he was like oh, he, he, he was fine so i don't think it was him but anyway immensely powerful uh series written by tony schumacher um his screenwriting debut actual ex-policeman from liverpool it was just, it was realism. It was unbelievable realism. And, but at the same time, it was kind of poetic and beautiful to look at. It had like a neon rain-soaked visual thing going on. It was brilliant. And I, it, it should be higher. It should be higher. This was higher. And then in, the, in our first half of the year, we did it. I'm not, every time I say it should be higher, I'm not having a go at James, by the way. I admit, I, I, you know, I admit I'm as responsible for this list as he is, pretty much. But. I it would be much higher. It would be in my top ten, put it that way, for sure. Really? Oh yeah, definitely. I'm surprised. I no, mean, no. it was good. I didn't Phenomenal. finish it, but it was good. I loved his. Um, he was so the accent. He I was going to say, was it the most well. show of the year? <laughs> uh, Possibly, no bad thing. Maybe, yeah. Possibly. Yeah. 
Possibly. Well, the responder there, number 20. And number 19, it's the old man. Now, I loved this. Obviously, we had uh, we had Jeff Bridges on the podcast to talk about this, and he gave me some guitar tips. So maybe I'm slightly biased because of that. But this was really, really good. See, I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> we can all be buzzed. It just—it was unexpected. It was—it was Jeff Bridges as you've never seen him before. He was slightly terrifying. He was murdering people with like dogs. Um, it was—it was him as <laughs> him gosh. as a secret agent. But he had—he had a lovely pacing to it. It was a beautiful performance in it. it. Had Amy Brenneman in it again in a really interesting role where they have this slightly sort of elder romance going on, and then she turns quite hardcore and a little bit sort of like cutthroat. It's really interesting the dynamic between those two as well, and Alia Shawkat obviously in there as well, and John Lithgow on the other side of the uh, on the other side of the equation. But I loved where it went, and I was very surprised by how it ended. So it's not a closed series; it is returning adaptation of the novel by Thomas Perry. So yeah, liked that a lot. That was a surprise for me. The old man kind of came out of nowhere, and and I really enjoyed it. You you finished it, didn't you, boy? You really liked it. Yeah, I, I agree. It was it was um, it was really good. So, amazingly, like just having Jeff Bridges and those dogs. Uh, the dogs won it for me. Um, they what were kind brilliant. of breed of dogs were they? Do you know? They're like uh, they were Rottweilers, weren't they? Yeah, like Rottweilers. Oh, right, okay, well, they're fine. Rottweilers. Yeah, maybe Rottweilers. I, I should I should say at this juncture that I'm joining in with this, but actually because I <laughs> I've only seen half the shows on this list because I only joined the pod. At that point, so that's yeah. right. That's right. I'm just going to dip Part in. Part time K. Out. That's what we call you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. You joined the pod quite late in the year, so a lot of these shows will have passed you by. But it's good. So this can be your list as but well. Gonna, okay. This can be your yes. Christmas viewing. And I'm going to ask really pertinent questions like, "What breed of dog it is?" Right. So yeah. So, so in this case, I'm pretty sure they were Rottweilers. Either way, okay. you wouldn't want to mess with them. That's what I'm saying. Mm. Don't fuck with okay. the Rottweilers. So the old man then at number 19. Um, at number 18, we have a show which has been on the list since our half year review but now is doubly on the list because we got two seasons of it this year it's slow horses which i have to say was an unexpected delight because it was brilliant in april when it first landed and then we got another season in december a second season of gary oldman being spectacular as sort of swearing farting jackson lamb the sort of like rogue spy master i loved this i loved season one i actually think i loved season two of this even more didn't have as much Christmas Scott Thomas in it which was a shame because I think him you know squaring off against Lady Di as she was uh, was one of the delights of the first season but it's just so good he's brilliant I love the dynamics between these kind of misfits and freaks they have at Slough House these sort of uh, these sort of outcast agents and I love the fact that in both seasons I'm going to tiptoe around this a little bit spoilery in both seasons they did something shocking. Like something shocking happened in both of them and you didn't see either of them coming. And even having seen the first one, you didn't see the second one coming. So yeah, I, I, I triumphed Slow Horses. And we're going to get, I want to say season three and season four next year. Am I right in saying that, Boydie? I believe so, yeah. I think they yeah, just finished yeah, filming uh, exactly. yeah, those seasons. It's yeah. amazing. So yeah. the more Slow Horses we get, the better. Yeah, completely. Yeah, they added to the cast. Kadif Kerwin uh, was, is great. And it kind of, he pops up as the gambling addict in the second season. He'll be more yep. to the to the, to the fore. In the next, but I agree. Yeah, the the back and forth between Gary Oldman and Jack Loudon is fantastic as well. Um, yeah, and just it just it's just Gary Oldman. It's just like the uh, uh, the perfect role for Gary Oldman in a similar way to Jeff Bridges. You know, being in um, in the old man, it's like someone someone really brilliant and clever has t- clearly tailored a role to these brilliant veteran actors who are getting yeah. to have the time of their lives. Um, and, and, and Gary Oldman said that when well, you interviewed him, I interviewed him for the pod, and he he was you know just loving it. He absolutely loves being in the show. So and you can sense it from watching it. It does feel like it's kind of like a role of a lifetime. And he pretty much yeah. said he'll do it as long as they let he him did. do it. And there he are a bunch did. of these novels yeah. to be seen. So you know, like them a lot. Okay, that was eighteen. That was Slow Horses. At number seventeen, we have. 
we have Boyd's favourite show of the year, oh. his Ooh. number one, oh. The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. <laughs> Boyd, do you feel forever changed by this show? Uh, no. And um, let's face it, this is only in there because um, it's kind of like, you know, it's Empire slash Pilot TV. It's like you have to bow down before Lord of the Rings, <laughs> you know. It was all right. It was fine. You know, it looked, it looked like it had a lot of money spent on it, but so can anything that's had a lot of money spent on it. I was. <laughs> I thought it was. I thought it was in the end kind of mediocre. And I put it this way: there's about fifty-two um, shows that are better than this that should be in the top twenty. <laughs> a rough wow. estimate. A rough estimate. It's interesting because this show really split the Empire office. Because I would say the majority of people in the Empire office preferred this to House of the Dragon, uh, and were quite wow. vocal about that and thought wow. it was amazing. I mean, I'm wrong. very much in the House of the Dragon <laughs> camp, but I did really like this show. I didn't think it was as good or as focused. But I did like that you got to spend time in this world during the Second Age, during a different era to the Peter Jackson films. I thought that Morpheth Clark was fantastic as Galadriel, gave that character many more dimensions than we've ever seen before. I'm not hugely familiar with things like, you know, the Silmarillion and all these various sort of like uh, appendices that Tolkien had. Uh, so I can't claim to be an expert in the lore, but I love the way this sort of deepened the films for me and sort of broadened the mythology. And I loved all the Men of Numenor stuff, which is funny because, again, what we're talking about, most people are like, oh, all the Numenor stuff is really boring. I'm like, that was the best bit. They land on an island full of fucking alt-right racists, and it's just really entertaining. And, and and I'm the big reveal, no spoilers, but the big reveal uh, when it comes is a is a a brilliant, brilliant scene. Not just surprising, but also just really, really well pulled off. I uh, said so we had J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay and, in fact, Morpheth Clark and uh, Charlie Vickers in for a Q&A. We did a live screening and Q&A uh, of the final episode. And uh, <laughs> and I was saying to them, they're like, it really, like, that, the, the reveal of that really gave me the, the, the feels. I got chills from it. I did. Okay, you must have watched every episode of this. I can't believe for a second I you saw, would have I'm missed be honest, I saw just power. She's doing a rewatch at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of just powered down during that bit. I'm back. <laughs> You're back now. Okay, fine, fine. Number seventeen of, of Lord yeah, of the Rings. Yeah. You powered down. Oh, unbelievable! <laughs> uh, unbelievable. And number sixteen. Then we own this city. David Simon's return to not just the screen but also Baltimore. Boydie. Yeah. Um. Fantastic. Really good. I, I, I'm slightly. I'm slightly. Um. I've. What's the phrase? I'm slightly more cold on it. Is that is that the phrase than I was at the time? I really liked it. it it's I feel like it made its point in, in you know <laughs> the first ten minutes in a way, and I'm not sure it was a bit one note for me that that series. I mean, brilliantly done again, you know, and it's the, the Lord Master of TV drama, David Simon, um, etc. John Bernthal terrifying brilliant but yeah I, I don't know i it's not a show that i'm ever going to watch again put it that way which is often my my um measure mm. of how much i like a show or how much i think a show is really really good i think it was really good and, I, and i'm not saying it should be in the top 20 it wouldn't be in my top 20 again there'll be other shows but yeah <laughs> it was it was um it was very well done but this is it, one of these shows yeah. where because it was at the beginning of the year it hasn't stayed with you Slightly, yeah. Was it that early in the year? Maybe better shows have also appeared since. Well, I think yeah. that as well, yeah. But I think, I, I don't know. So better is kind of, I guess, a, a term. It's difficult. So I think this is one of the shows, I agree with you, I don't imagine I'll watch this again, whereas I've watched The Wire multiple times. But I yeah. wonder whether it's because, as you say, this is quite a difficult watch. It's quite a stressful watch. It's quite an upsetting watch. And so maybe it's something that, as you say, once it's made its point, once you've experienced it, you don't necessarily want to go through that again. But, you know, in terms of it, 
peeling back the layers of Baltimore society, much like The Wire did, and sort of showing you that kind of endemic police corruption. It was an incredibly powerful piece of TV drama. And I think John Berntal was magnetic and abhorrent in equal measure in that role as Wayne Jenkins. I, I, I thought he was fantastic. And Wanmi Masako, who brought a real sort of soulfulness to that as well. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I loved it at the time, but I know exactly what you mean, and I recognise it was fantastic, but it hasn't stayed with me as much of a lot of the other shows we've seen this year. Yeah. So I also think I there's, do, a, bit, there's you know a, bit, a, a bit of pro-American bias to this kind of thing sometimes as well, that, you know, shows that David Simon does get very highly acclaimed by all the big, you know, bigwig critics and stuff. And sometimes I think, is it that much better, you know, than various British cop thriller dramas in conspiracy corruption dramas that have been? I, I don't necessarily think so. Yeah. So, but yeah. Slide it down. Okay. Sorry. Boyd sticking the knife in there to number 15. Yeah. Uh, no, that was number 16. Sorry, that was number 16. But we go on now to number 15. And it is Big Boys. Oh, now you're talking. That's one I oh, have seen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think did was I was I on the pod when we reviewed this? Jack Rooks. I mean, that was just, it was just brilliant and the bittersweet coming of age comedy based on uh, Jack's own life. And I just thought Dylan Ewellen as Jack was great, but more even more so Danny played by is it John Pointing? Yes. Um, from Plebs. And I just it had everything, you know, it was if anyone hasn't seen it about Jack basically processing the um, the loss of his dad, going to university, coming to terms with his sexuality and, you know, leaving his mum behind who I just love Camille Cordero. Cordero? 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 Yeah. That's how much I love her. I can't even say her name. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought she was fab in it. And the fact that now it's been commissioned for another series, I can't be more, I couldn't be more delighted. It's just the perfect blend of comedy and heartbreak, I thought. So bring on the second series. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. Yeah, it was just a bit. What was amazing about it for me was it started out as quite a broad comedy, you know, sitcom. Mm. Quite, quite. Um, when they first arrive and they get to know each other, and there's lots of funny stuff about what it's like to go to university for the first time and how they're treated by people. But then it ended up as being one of the most moving and emotional shows of the year. So to have that to kind of navigate that change in tone, if you like. As as the show wore on, was was quite spectacular by Jack Rook. I think he's he's brilliant. Yeah, it was, it's it's fantastic. Speaking of Jack, I do need to edit and put up that uh, screenwriting TV screenwriting masterclass oh, yeah. that we did at the pilot two hundred yes, show. I haven't even mentioned that this year. We had two hundredth episode of pilot this year. We did we did a live. Was it ten hours? Felt like a hundred hours. Ten hour <laughs> live show. At I mean, the quiz London. felt like ten hours. And the quiz did feel like ten hours. The quiz was nearly ten hours. The six hour round just about me was particularly good. Oh, yeah, gosh. Uh, but, yes, uh, monster, absolute monster. monster. Enjoyed that a lot. I did. Um, so, mm -hmm. uh, but but you know, so, the so only Jack who did. and Sophie Petzl <laughs> and Phelpsy and Joe Barton all came on and did a a, a wonderful Q and A with Terry about uh, about that writing. That was a great Q and A actually. It was. Yeah, have and you still not put that up, James? I'm going you to put it up. In the new year is going to go up. It 100% is going up in the new Get year. Get it up. It was I amazing. I will. Uh, but I, I still haven't watched the rest of Big Boys for the same reason, because remember when we saw it, because it begins as broad comedy, I immediately was like, no, this is not for me. And you guys were like, no, you've got to go back to it. You've got to watch the rest of it. And I do need to do that still. And I promise I will do it at some point. <laughs> it's before on the season list. Yeah, before yeah. season two. Yeah. I'll see what I can We've do. had these promises before and they've gone, we they've have. gone, to, we gone have. for nothing. And then I'll yeah. come back and be like, boy, I want rewatch the whole of The Expanse over Christmas. And you'll be like, oh, for oh, fuck's God. sake. Exactly. Exactly. It's going to happen. Maybe you need to give up The Expanse for the new year. Never. 
Never Maybe that should be resolution. Yeah, never he's never going to do that. Never giving up the expanse. Oh, I mean, okay, okay, all right. Don't give that up. Take something on, i.e., watching more comedy and things that aren't the expanse. How I mean, about that? I, I have to watch things that are the expanse because Amazon have given up on the expanse, so there is no more expanse. But uh, yes, yeah. I, uh, I, I mean, sure. If you can find me comedy that I will like, yeah, Big Boy season one. Okay, fine. <laughs> um, I see. This can be a challenge. See if you can find me a comedy mm. that I like. Okay, fine. Um, right. So that was fifteen. At number fourteen, we have. Sherwood, the show about the Manic Miners. Mm. Oh, yeah, there was a lot of discussion between me and James about how high this should be in the list. I note, dear listener, it's number two in the Guardians list of shows of the year. <sighs> I didn't um, like it. <laughs> what what number mumble? is it? What are you mumbling? <laughs> I did not enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> no. the, 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 the murderous Why miners not? were just not for me. Absolutely. I found it quite dour and a bit. It just didn't, it didn't, it didn't. He doesn't. He can't do that. It was too British, too northern, too dour. Uh, <laughs> it's basically the perfect, too working the perfect class Terry show. Yeah, it's James, a working class northern snob. drama about murder and miners. Like, yeah. if a if a show was concocted in a lab to appeal to Terry White, this was it. This is an example of a show that if it was American, somehow James would be able to deal with it all, and he'd, he'd watch <laughs> yeah. it, and he'd, be, and he'd appreciate how brilliant it was. It was so exciting and thrilling. It it did. Apart from the fact that it completely reminded you of you know, I grew up during the miners' strike, so I can remember it quite vividly. But for lots of the kids of today, they would not have understood its significance and how it it, it tore communities apart. This was about a community in uh, Nottingham that was torn apart by it, and it was also an incredibly exciting murder mystery thriller, etc. It had all of that, and there was a big mystery about um, an undercover policeman in, who 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 literally became what part of the community so it had like multiple different mysteries to it and yet it was incredibly interesting and provocative david morrissey the cast david morrissey leslie manville Adil yeah. Akhtar, it was a great cast brilliant cast br- all of them prestige drama i yeah. think for me i mean i was i was alive when the minus um did the strike but i mean like it was so sort of it served so many purposes because it brought attention as you say to the devastating consequences of the strike reminding everyone also it educated me on spy cops didn't know what they yeah, were yeah and then had the obviously the gripping whodunit aspect so uh and also anything with leslie manville is just going to be class so well yeah. look, i didn't have the personal connection that you had boydie because i mean i appreciate that you once bought a pair of supreme trainers off arthur scargill but i did <laughs> you know that's uh, i don't have that that personal oh, relationship with the show no. but oh. uh but oh god <laughs> right anyway anyway that was number 14 sherwood number 13 we have beth's favorite it's bazza it's barry yeah to be fair to beth it is brilliant it's a brilliant brilliant show it just gets better and better and better it's one of those shows that from season one through four each season was it three or four the last one can't remember um it just it just it gets more inventive and more. It's a completely unique thing, the Barry. Um, there's nothing, no other show like it. You know, it's kind of ostensibly like a comedy, but it's it's a spectacular thriller as well. Is um, is Barry yeah. the one with the Fonz in? Yeah, Henry Winkler. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's the one with the Fonz in. Okay, we reduce the whole thing to it's the one with the Fonz in. <laughs> but to be fair, Henry um, Winkler hello, is the Fonz. Yeah, but he's, he's a ledge. Talk, talking of late roles, you know. Aging actors getting these brilliant roles. This, this is another example. Henry Winkler, absolutely fantastic um, in Barry. Oh my god! I literally just saw popcorn dribbling down James's face. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if anyone can hear this. Basically, James is munching away on popcorn. I am very, very considerately muting my microphone while I munch the popcorn. 
Oh, okay, fine. That is I just talk about the kernel a little bit. I had to go and see a film today. I got back literally seconds before this podcast and only had time to slurp down a chicken and mushroom pot noodle because that's what I've been reduced to. <laughs> I'm now eating the popcorn that I had at the cinema. Let me, so. let don't me just ashamed. get my little tiny violin out. Yeah, don't be ashamed of the film you saw. You went to see Avatar The Way of Water again. Please do not yes, talk about Avatar. Ex- do not I, I, talk about boy's it. favourite film of the year. I went to see it again. Oh, Unbelievable. God. Yeah. So yeah, Barry, fantastic. Watch it. Bill Hader writes and directs it and stars in it. Incredible. I'm just I'm just filling while James's guest finishes his mouth for the popcorn. <laughs> well, he gets the popcorn out of his teeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. I'm amazed that you still got popcorn. By the way, after a three hour, fifteen minute film, you still well, got popcorn I, left. I started on the M and M's and they kept me going uh, for the first okay. hour and a half, and okay. I didn't break into the popcorn until the latter part of the yeah. film. So, and it was a big bag, to be fair. So, right, you yeah, certainly need an infusion of. Um, Sweet-based energy. Sorry. Do not. Do not. Unbelievable. Right. Anyway, at number 12, speaking of things that need an infusion of, I don't know, I couldn't make that link work at all, but uh, it's the White Lotus, which Boyd is now going to whinge because he thinks it should now be at number one, even though it's at number 12. No, it should be definitely in the top 10. That is ridiculous that it's not. I I refer you once again to the collaborative process under which this list was constructed. You did not allow me to talk during that meeting. Listen, there's a reason (laughs) why. Literally not true. There's a reason why. <laughs> there's a reason why the White Lotus is not much, 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 much higher. We 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 came up with this list before we'd seen the finale. That's the key. So yeah, I allowed true. it to be. You know, a lot of people were slightly disappointed by this season. Well, I think a lot of people who loved season one felt this was a bit of a, more of a slow burn this time around. Slightly less. I preferred it. I I preferred it in the end as well. But in the end, because the finale is one of the greatest finales of all time, uh, and the finale was so fantastic that it completely should revolutionise how high this goes in the chart. But we, we the chart has mm. been published online um, for ages, so it's too late. But it, it's my number one of the year for sure. Uh, Mike I, White is some kind of genius, genius at just yeah. creating with these flawed characters and like, exposing their vulnerabilities and dark sides. Yeah. And, and like I read Beth's um, brilliant behind-the-scenes piece um, in Empire about you know her trip to White Lotus. Very mm. jealous, by the way, Beth. <laughs> um, We're all and jealous. Love this and Aubrey Plaza and Will Sharp. Oh, I Great think combo. I, I do hold out hope that the four that that foursome, um, mm. the two couples will be back in the next season. There's like hints they might be, and I also and Will Sharp in that interview which we which we played brilliantly describes the scene, the central scene of the finale, the absolutely hilarious kind of black comedic exit of one of the characters, shall we say? <laughs> um, he described it as punk. I thought that's such a brilliant description of it. Mm. It is totally punk. Um, because it's just mad. It's funny and it's ridiculous all at the same time. Oh, God, it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, that's a punk exit from The White Lotus, and we're getting close to the top 10 now. We're in at number 11 with Stranger Things. Kate's shaking her head. She's not a Stranger Things aficionado. This surprised me. I would have thought you would be a Stranger Things fan, Kate. Do you know what? I just never really got into it when it first began, and now I'm just like, "Mm, I can't. It's too but scary. I, I, you don't like scary things, though, do you? Either? No, that is absolutely true. not. You don't do I'm well with horror. I'm such a scaredy horror. cat. And no. Stranger Things is an interesting one because it's one that a lot of, I was about to say young people, all these young people, but like kids essentially watch a lot of Stranger Things. It is not appropriate for kids at all. Oh my God, my niece is obsessed with it. She's watched yeah, the whole it's thing. it's quite I'm like, full on. Uh, mm. But it's very, very good. It's had its ups and downs, I think, but this season I think really was a 
banner one. It was a great year for that. Eddie Munson then, obviously, who was played by uh, by Joseph Quinn, was the MVP, I think, of this uh, of this one. Just for standing on the roof of a trailer and playing fucking Master of Puppets, note perfect on the guitar, was pretty amazing. Obviously, I can do that. I mean, it goes without saying. But uh, that was an incredible scene. This is really coming through. I didn't realise you were a guitarist. Uh, I mean, you played- I'm, not, I'm not sure I could, in all good conscience, describe He's myself as a guitarist. He's given up the guitar, Kay, in, in a tragic uh, loss. <laughs> in a tragic <laughs> loss for music. <laughs> <laughs> why, James? Why? <laughs> no, I have not given it up. I'm taking a. We're on a break, like Ross and Do Rachel. You know what? Listen, we're consciously what, uncoupled. Yeah. Rather than having like 15 rounds about you in the quiz, what actually should should have been around is you playing different theme tunes of uh, TV shows on your guitar and people having to guess it. That would have been. No, 100. percent what I tried to make happen at the 200 show, and this is absolutely what? true. I oh, was God. trying to get Choquin to come down to the podcast. <laughs> oh, we were trying to work oh, it out. He wasn't wow. available at the end. But I, the, my whole thing was I wanted to come out with my guitar and start playing something really embarrassing, then have him come out and play Master of Puppets. So I thought that would have been brilliant. Oh, Strangely, they didn't go for it, but that was what I tried <laughs> well, to I do. I can't for the believe day. that didn't happen. He was suddenly very busy. <laughs> he was suddenly otherwise engaged. Yeah, he did not want to do a duet with me on the stage. He didn't want to be my support <laughs> act. Really, is what it was. Well, I mean, he, you know, he felt intimidated to. Show Share yeah. the stage with me, I'm the grateful. original Axe Man. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, oh, so that that, uh, that didn't happen. But yeah, it was a great, a great uh, season of Stranger Things. That it takes was. us to number Finally. ten. We're now into the top ten. We are halfway through the list. Kay's already lost the will to live, but here we are. <laughs> this is going to hurt because it's this is going to hurt. Uh, you know, and obviously our love for the NHS is boundless. But this <laughs> was a slightly harrowing rot- watch. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, it was a it was a devastating look at the state of yeah how the NHS is and and uh, I just thought yeah Ad, um, Adam Kate who wrote this book um, he just did such a great job of like depicting it from obviously from a doctor's point of view he was a doctor and Ben Wishwell was fab and perfectly cast as Adam being both like he's very funny like deadpan funny but cold and disillusioned by his job and just an awful. Consequently, an awful mentor to um, the junior Dr. Shruti, who was played. It was a brilliant turn, actually, by newcomer Ambika Mode, who got one of our Unmissables Awards, I think. Um, so, you know, she's really kind of gone up <laughs> in the world. But yeah, I, and I thought that plot twist involving her character was completely unexpected and devastating and deeply moving. And it actually, that for me, that was a TV moment this year. Yeah, long, I, I, can, I put this alongside um, the responders, the two these two brilliant um, British dramas dealing with great British institutions of police, law enforcement, and in this case, the NHS. And they both had very similar, like they were both really, really kind of almost twisted in their black humour. Like they would get humour out of the most sick, you know, subject matter, but brilliantly handled. And and Adam Kay turning his own, because the original book of This Is Going To Hurt, which is a publishing phenomenon, was basically a memoir, kind of rambling, you know, kind of diary, diary style memoir. And he turned it into an incredible- I'm sure Adam Kay would appreciate you calling it rambling, but yes. <laughs> hey, honestly, he would. Well, we, we had him on the podcast. So I, I appreciate we did I have did him on the podcast. It was, he, yeah. he admits that it's rambling, but he absolutely- <laughs> I, I doubt you said rambling to him, but yeah, sure. Oh, I'm gonna, I, I wouldn't be surprised if I did. I'm going to go back and check. Anyway- he would not be offended because he's a grown up. I mean, he knows that he turned. I'm saying the genius is he turned his own free form mm. you know, mm. memoir Sprawling. into an incredibly tight, brilliantly structured seven part um, drama series. Uh, a, a complete classic. And the astonishing thing is, there's no plan to do another series of it because he basically said, 
that he said everything he, need, he wanted to say pretty much about the NHS and about this character based on him, based on his real experiences, played by Ben Whishaw, brilliantly. And so he didn't need to do it. Now, it was a hit, I believe, did really well for the BBC and yeah, a massive acclaim. I, I still hope he's gonna, he can be persuaded to do another series because I just miss those characters. I'm the opposite. I'm like, I think that's the right decision for him to just stop yeah. right there. I think that makes it perfect, yeah, even though I'd enough. love to see what else. Yeah, hmm. I'm sure he could do other great things. That takes us to number nine. And it is Derry Girls, the final season of Derry Girls. Derry Girls, which is a sitcom that I really enjoyed, which is unusual oh, for wow. me. A comedy that I liked, which yeah. I thought was properly funny. And I loved everyone in it. Uh, Sasha Monica Jackson, who plays Erin, was on this very podcast for the final season. But uh, yeah, I, 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 I mean, I, I love it. I absolutely love the show. I, uh, I think it captured that era perfectly, but also made it accessible to even people who didn't grow up, you know, experiencing the troubles directly. I think, you know, people like Sister Michaels, iconic comedy characters, and even even like people like Orla. Now, on Orla, so I, I have a, a bee in my bonnet about that comedy trope, the overly comedically stupid character. Like, you know, Joey and Phoebe and Friends. Or the, I, I really, really find that archetype quite difficult to get along with. Didn't have any problem with it here at all. I think she was. She, she had, is ace. She's, she's ace. Yes, she yeah. is ace. But she's got depth. She's got nuance. And I think you know. And frankly, <laughs> even she wasn't as bad as her mother Sarah. So you know, Kathy Kira Clark's character. Uh, but really good. And that perfect finale. Just a wonderful, wonderful show. And how much did you guys enjoy the uh, the sort of like the Derry Girls senior where you see their parents as kids? Yeah, as well. that was brilliant. That was a yeah. lovely episode. But also the Liam Neeson cameo was hilarious. The, this is for the tape. <laughs> Liam. The business yeah. for the tape kind of line of duty, like joke <laughs> that she smuggled in. Yeah. He was so funny in it. Um, and she kept, they kept that completely secret from everyone. They kept the existence of that finale secret as well. Originally, it was just, right. it was yes. just filled as a six part final series. And then suddenly there was this extra whole extra episode that they made. It's a real they wrote bonus, and made in bonus secret. Set. What absolute genius thing to do. Um, so, yeah, it deserves to be this high. Very, very good. And I do think Siobhan McSweeney as Sister Michael kind of is in the pantheon of great yeah. comedy characters for me. Just in her DeLorean absolutely spectacular. Car. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so much fun. And also I love the era. I love the 90s era of that show. Just delightful, delightful show from Lisa McGee. Right, at number eight, we're into Hugo Blick territory. It's The English, a show that I finished very, very recently. Boydie, this is great, isn't it? I love The English. I do think it's a work of genius. I think Hugo Blick is incredible. Uh, he did he did the Shadow Lion. So my favourite of all of his shows is the Shadow Lion up, up until this, which was a very intense, beautifully shot kind of character piece slash thriller, etc. And this had similar. This is you know ostensibly a western, but it's all really all about Emily Blunt's character Cornelia and her love for um, Eli Chesky Spencer's character. And just along the way, there were just so many spectacular sequences. There was one sequence where they're being attacked from afar across a kind of barren plain where they're basically being picked off by these people shooting at them. There was as good an action sequence as I've seen this year in, in cinema, TV, etc. Um, so I just loved it. And, and it just came through in the end. The greatest villain of the year, I think. Uh, Rave Spall. Rave Spall only arrives in episode four. All stuff like that that they only, you know, half one of the best things about the whole series only arrives more than halfway through the run of the series. The story, as a, the B word is going to come up, the bold storytelling is so bold that I, <laughs> I salute it in every way. 
Yes. Rice Ball is outstandingly hateable in this. Uh, I mean, he's up there with, with Clay Bang. I think the two yes, of them are the bell ends of the year. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for 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 very different reasons, but it's just horrific. But it's a it's a heartbreaking story, and it's yeah. so beautifully added, and it's stunningly shot. Talk about like you know, people talk a lot. It's slightly condescending to say big screen production values on the small screen, but this really was beautifully cin- cinematic, just like John Ford S, just just wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. The English at number eight. At number seven, speaking of things that looked beautiful, it's House of the Dragon. I'll return to Westeros for this uh, sort of prequel spin-off series. I didn't know what to expect from this going in at all. I really didn't. Like, I love Game of Thrones an awful lot. And I think part of the reason Game of Thrones works so well is George R. R. Martin's material was so compelling. And I think it's telling that when Benioff and Weiss deviated from that material, when they outpaced that material, the show didn't fall off a cliff, but it, it was less compelling like it's only i think it was reduced slightly so this obviously they're going from not exactly george r, r. martin's book they're going from fire and blood which is like a history book so they, the story the the skeleton of the structure of the story is laid out for them all the character beats are are not there nevertheless i think they did a great job i think in particular millie alcock is outstanding uh and i think then replaced by emma darcy also outstanding in this unless we forget paddy considine in i want to say a career best turn would you agree well he's brilliant in everything really he's brilliant yes, in those everything from tyrannosaur upwards yes he's, yeah. a, he's a delight to watch hot yeah. fires you name it yeah but um he is phenomenal in this yeah his slow kind of disintegration literally like his whole face kind of falling apart as the show goes as on. the only character in this who ages properly <laughs> yeah oh exactly yeah um he did do a brilliant job i my feeling about um about it, the whole the show was that it is basically an extension of game of thrones it's so game of thronesy that you know but in a very in a, in, a, in all the best things about Game of Thrones, and it kind of ditched some of the worst things as well. So it's depiction of misogyny and of um, mm. the patriarchy, so to speak, was much less exploitative because the old Game of Thrones had it both ways, didn't it? So it would criticize yes, it the patriarchy. Famously, there's the scene in it where a woman is forced to walk naked through the streets with extra being pelted at her. Which Jeremy apparently, Clarkson's favourite scene. Exactly. Which was out of fucking moron Jeremy Clarkson decided to use as the base of one of his hateful diatribes about... Um, what a twat. What a twat, exactly. <laughs> about um, Meghan so, Markle, yeah. Yeah, but you know, but actually, I, I think David Baddiel, I saw David Dill made the point, maybe that scene, that original scene is problematic, you know, and it was. I remember at the time thinking it was an incredible indictment. I've, I've decided to go off on about Game of Thrones. Singing, no, do sorry. it. But I remember thinking at the time, this is a brilliant indictment of patriarchal reli- organised religion, which is what it was getting at, wasn't it? Yeah. Like the High Sparrow yeah. decreed this to be done. But there is something creepily exploitative about watching a naked woman walk through the streets, you know, as yeah. well. Whereas this series, to get back to the main point, s- somehow it depicted unflinchingly horrible. The birth, I mean, the birth sequences alone were really disturbing and 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 chilling and horrible. But it never, it didn't do that thing where it had felt exploitative. It had equal, there were equal opportunity nudity from men and women. There was quite a lot yeah, of Matt yeah. Smith. On, Cox akimbo. <laughs> yeah. Is that, um- that birth scene was in episode one because that's well, the only one I've seen. Yeah, yeah, there were more. Oh there my was, god, the, yeah. the woman's first battlefield episode, is the birthing chamber. <laughs> it was grotesque. Yeah, that oh. was a horrible that first episode. Well, I mean, there was there was worse to come, Kate. I mean, that, yeah, no, well, that that's why Beth I should not be watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that turned Beth off yeah. the whole show. Yeah. She yeah, thought that awful. it was exploitative and misogynist, and yeah. I, you know, and Terry felt very differently. We got into this on the live show. I think the two of them did a little bit. You know, I'm very much in the Terry camp there. I do think you know it's showing the you know female pain, but the whole 
premise of this show is about a battle to dismantle the patriarchy which ultimately in the show is doomed to failure but uh but actually you know i think the you know the messaging of it is actually quite progressive and i think they did make real efforts to address some of the the criticisms that were leveled at at the original game of thrones but it's beautiful but it's also it's a very different show like the tapestry is very different it's one set of people they're all blonde and wiggy uh you know it's in one place it's not one note exactly but to the extent that game of thrones was had all that text you had the north you had king's Landing, you had across the sea and essos you had all these different things in different places different sets different environments different types of characters different types of storytelling whereas this was all about one thing it's a succession story it's based in king's landing that's broadly speaking where it all happens with a few jaunts to dragonstone to have some arguments with dragons but uh really really great show i absolutely loved it absolutely loved the show i thought it they was, could have come it was up a with a new theme tune though couldn't they yeah that bugged the shit out of me i thought that was cynical and lazy but yeah. you know hey ho yeah. <laughs> oh you know what while we're at it i think there should be an award for the best theme tune and that should go to white lotus I've now downloaded the whole of the, the, the spotify playlist for the white lotus this season and it's fantastic i can highly recommend you are not the only one who has mentioned that. We've had a few uh, messages from listeners uh, very much to that effect that they thought oh, it was it was It's a so trance. good. And then I've, I've been, I've felt through, like, started scrolling through many articles um, analysing the opening titles and, like, the pictures depicting it. Oh, yeah. That's you know, a with the brilliant. actors' names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. really smart. And I was like, oh, my God, yeah. Is, like, there's so yeah. many clues. Yeah. yeah. It's a genius. Right, that was number seven, House of the Dragon. At number six, we have Bad Sisters on Apple. I realise I have not actually said where any of these things are airing. Uh, however, Google is your friend. I'm sure it's easy enough to find out. But uh, Bad Sisters is, in fact, on Apple, uh, who have had a pretty good year, all things considered. Um, and this contains the joint biggest bell end of the year uh, in Clay's Bang. And I felt like, again, this is such a good show. I find it quite hard to watch because he's so abusive and controlling and coercive and unpleasant that, and weirdly, and I find it almost more difficult to watch than the scenes with Rafe Spall in the English, I think, because the scenes with Rafe Spall in the English are so not maybe over the top is the wrong way but it's it's slightly heightened in a way that makes it less relatable whereas when you look at this and you see just the horror that she goes through married to that guy he he is a total nasty bastard but don't you think there's some there's a little bit of relief in the fact that you know that he gets his yeah he gets i mean he justice. dies at the beginning of the first episode exactly <laughs> so you kind of start off knowing that this nasty bastard does yeah. get yeah. Um, his just desserts but it helps. this is I think this is one of my this is one of my favorite shows of the year and I just think it had such an excellent like stellar performances from the excellent cast particularly Amory Duff as his wife his long suffering wife and I just thought it was a it was a brilliant comedy crime drama which you know I haven't seen many comedy crime dramas um, but I thought it just struck the perfect balance between laugh out loud moments and sort of head scratchy who done it conundrum so this was this was and i he is just superb as the prick um i think it's the most odious (laughs) yeah john paul known as the prick in the show and um the most odious man on tv in 2022 i'd say yeah boy would you agree that this is to quote the leftovers the garvey's at their best yes that was a good that was a good joke that was a good joke that was a very good joke good reference good leftovers (laughs) reference um it's just yeah i mean what a job just the casting um all of those sisters fantastic it looked brilliant it was had this brilliant kind of fictional i believe irish small town coastal setting i think it was a fictional place wasn't it um and 
It's just the storytelling. I mean, I remember what I think the, it was, you know, we should say it's adapted from that Belgian original. And the Belgian original was kind of perfectly serviceable, you know, thing. With But she just, I think Sharon Horgan as, as the lead writer and, you know, the, the, the way it was filmed and the way it's performed just turned something very, very good into something really special. And that was like fantastic the way they, the way they elevated it to something magical. Sharon really. Horgan has the Midas touch. Oh, yeah, completely. Yeah. And she was on this very podcast she talking was. about the finale of the show. If you didn't listen to that, do go back and do so. Talking to Boydie about that. Uh, so, right, that was number six. So we're into the top five now. We're on the home stretch. Woo-hoo. And at number five, we have All Covered in Hair, The Bear. <laughs> I This is, yeah, I, I still haven't finished it, though, so no spoilers. <laughs> I've still got two eps left. But this is just so effortlessly cool and stylish and sexy in an understated way I just had a major crush on Kami played by Jeremy um, Allen White and I just yeah from what I've seen and I haven't finished it so can't be the authority on it but yeah this was fab I was halfway through I was like this is really really good because it was it it took a long time to arrive didn't it so it was massively acclaimed oh so delayed yeah took one of those things that Disney Plus Disney Plus is one of the main culprits in taking (laughs) far too long to air do you know Atlanta season four of Atlanta the most recent series that that is already on Disney Plus they didn't tell anyone about it like it just arrived again long delay American Horror Story, New York City. I banged on about that. Why? Much. Do, why is that? They just think I, they're going to get like I word of mouth. Know. Like people are going to. F- I think they've got some weird thing whereby um, they can't launch too many new things at the same time or something. I really don't know. Yeah, don't but they know. can tell us about it though. Can't you they? <laughs> I mean, it's I mean, fine. It'd be they nice. don't have to launch. It would be nice, yeah. but I think the decision making is being left very much late in the day as well. So it means that the publicity people, the pop publicity people, don't know either. You know, I remember asking when American Horror Story NYC was going to be on. They were like, "We have no idea." And then about a week later, it arrived. <laughs> so anyway, back to the bear. Uh, uh, kind of after halfway through, I think the ten episodes, I was like, "This is really, really good." But there's a lot. Uh, there, there are a lot of shows and films about you know egomaniac chefs. Do you know in restaurants? And we had it's Boiling Point thing. this year as well. Mm. Boiling Point and and the the uh, the menu with Ray yeah. Fiennes. Is that what it's called? The menu. Um, yeah, the menu yeah. goes in a slightly different direction. Oh, it to go, this, goes but, yeah. completely bonkers. Yeah, but it's essentially still uh, at, its, at, at the crux yeah. of it. Is still, it's a yeah. ma- egomaniac chef, right? Where and the bear is the most authentic and believable of all of those, and I I enjoyed them all, by the way. But it goes really ambitious as it gets more and more ambitious as it goes along, and you get more and more interesting filmmaking, so to speak, as it goes on. And in the end, uh, you finish it and you think that is a, a brilliant show, absolutely brilliant show. Yeah. Also, props to Eben Moss Backrack, who not only has this, but also has another show, which we'll get onto in a minute this year. He was really, he was so good in this. I think the the bits where he and Jeremy Allen White are yelling at each other are oh. a delight in this. Um, yeah, I found myself walking around the office going corner hands, just like yelling these various sort of like things <laughs> yeah, to people. Yeah. Uh, wonderful, wonderful show. Was it worth the wait? Yes, it was. Should yes, we have had was. to wait that long? Absolutely not. Oh, I like Nevertheless, answer those questions. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I do love a rhetorical question. Yeah. Um, right, right. Let's head now into number four territory. And number four, it was a while ago now, but I stand by this. Number four is Silka Louisa's Shining Girls, adapted from the Lauren Bukes novel. Uh, and dare I say, improving upon said novel by doing much more interesting things with the mythology. This was such a good show. Such a good show. And I remember at the time, just not enough people were watching it. Not enough people had seen it. Yeah, it's one of those things. Yeah, I, 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 it, this is one of those occasions where I'm fully in sync 
with James Dyer. Um, sickening oh my gosh, let's make a note of this it. time on the pod. I know, I know. <laughs> there's, there's actually quite a few shows, but I completely agree on how brilliant Shining Girls was. And it was, um, I, I still have to tell people, do not read the fucking Wikipedia entry on it because it ruins yeah, the whole thing in the, first line, yeah. in the first line. It absolutely ruins it. Because it's mm-hmm. such a massive reveal in the halfway through the series and that yeah it's it's awful don't please don't look it up just watch no, don't it if, you read, if you haven't seen johnny yeah. Gaz, you don't even want to know the premise because no. knowing the exactly. premise is a spoiler exactly yeah. um uh, again to i mean the show itself is phenomenal incredibly like uh, they're hugely influenced by seven as elizabeth Moss yeah. told me when i yeah. interviewed her vampire <laughs> magazine in one of the <laughs> one of the highlights of my year personally um i got to interview elizabeth Moss, who is the greatest the greatest and was on this living. podcast as well Amsley spoke as well, the greatest single living um, human being, <laughs> let alone actor in the world. Wow. Um, and she was a complete delight. And she was absolutely right how, about if, all the decision making that she talked about in then. She was so smart. Um, yeah, it's a really fantastic show. I actually want to watch it all over again. In fact, I might do that. This Same Christmas. Here. Even though mm. I've got about 8,000 films to watch <laughs> for BAFTA and 5,000 TV shows to watch for next year, I probably will find the time to watch Shining Girls again. So, yes. Yeah. It, it's it is absolutely worth it, and just just beautiful devices they use. Like there are visual devices, and I can't really go into it because it's a spoiler. But the way they use hairstyling and outfit to to sort of delineate what's going on, and the way they make very subtle changes to the production design, it's just again, it feels so lavish. We use that word a lot, but it feels like so much money and care went into this. Like it has absolutely cinematic production values. It looks stunning. The performances are incredible, and it's been beautifully. Structured and changed from what the novel is to what this new TV series is. And what's actually quite interesting about this is the central premise of the novel, where the title comes from, is actually slightly sidelined in this TV series. And they instead lean into another aspect of the story, which the book doesn't really explore. And I do think she they hone it. I think Silka Louisa did a really, really good job of sort of like fine-tuning this for television. I think it's a it's a masterclass in how to adapt a novel. So uh, I thought that was great. Number four, then the shiny goes. We're into the top three, guys. We're in the top three. It's the home stretch. We're nearly done. Okay, it's all right. Stay with us. Stay with us. Come back to the light. Then Come we have on. to go Come through on. the 50 million shows we didn't have space for. <laughs> yeah, that comes afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Just saying. But number three, it's better call Saul. Yeah, I, this is, I, I mean, I have, I don't know. I'm kind of, um, I've gone incoherent because. I'm in two minds about this because on the one hand, Betacle Saw is one of the greatest shows of all time. So it probably should be higher. I mean, it's in the top three, which is high. You but, just would have the whole list as joint number one. Uh, you? Uh, pretty much, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think in years to come, you know, it will be, it's going to be there. It's going to be there with The Wire, with The Sopranos, with um, Breaking, Breaking Bad, Bad, of course, itself. But it really is that good. And it it, it absolutely hit the landing that you, you, you mentioned earlier, the, the episode, the mid-season break episode which yeah. had everything in it and mm. was just an incredible, like, real-time thriller. Told us so much about the characters. But all the way through, what was I loved about this season, just playing out, it was all, talk about the benefits of weekly serial TV. This was what brilliant, because even though it was on Netflix in the UK, it was once a week, as it, as it always has been uh, on AMC in the States. And every week you could feel the, the, the showrunners playing with us, playing with the audience, going, yeah, we're going to show you this little flash forward now and this little flashback and this thing, and we're going to, it plays with time and we're going to show you what happened in four years in the future. <laughs> and, then, and you're constantly kept like on edge and you constantly, never really knew how they were going to resolve all the different elements of this incredible show. Um, and at its heart, it was a, it's a love story between Ray Seahorn and Bob Odenkirk's characters and two of the greatest performances in the history of television. 
I like it when I get really pompous and dramatic about it's how fair. good something it's is. It's all true. It's all true. And just think about this. If it hadn't been for COVID, I never would have seen it because I was, as, as I said on this oh, very yeah. famously on this podcast, I was like, you know, I could really do with catching COVID and then I'd have time to catch up with Better Call Saul. And what happened? The day after I said those words, I was struck down with COVID for the first time. Uh, Be careful week, what you wish for. Exactly. Spent a, but I did. It was brilliant. I spent a week on the sofa feeling terrible, but I watched all of Better Call Saul. So I caught up two weeks before the finale. So I did binge the entire show pretty much in one sitting and then had two weeks where I watched those final two episodes and it didn't disappoint. And, you know, it was, you know, that finale, especially it's, it's really interesting because the show, as we kind of talked about when we were talking about it, Boyd, it, it kind of almost resolves two thirds of the way through that final season. And then you have this coda, which actually wraps up the greater story perfectly, but it's, it's quite slow isn't the word but it's quite deliberate i think we've said that before but it's quite you know almost downbeat almost a little deflated at times but just beautifully tragically real and and just oh it's it's, it's wonderful it is wonderful yeah i always bang on about better call saw because you've clearly everyone listening to this has seen it or is planning to watch it over christmas i know you are but we're into number Number two now, number two. And number two is what was our half year number one, and it is Severance. Now, I spoke about The We We Are, which was the finale of Severance early on, which is without doubt one of the best episodes of TV this year. This was one where... And you'll forgive me, Boyd, for saying that you and Beth were just wrong about this show because you both were like, it's rubbish. We don't no, like oh it. Oh, my God. This is the unbelievable thing. Oh, it's so annoying. It's an incredible exaggeration. We didn't love it. We did not it's think it was terrible. Such an evil cackle he's got as well. Look. <laughs> and that too. Uh, Boyd, who came out and said he hated it. Oh. It was the worst show he'd ever seen. No, I will say that you were both quite lukewarm on the first episode. Yes, yes, yes. I admit. Yes. Yes, but it does. It takes a while. It takes a while. Like it, it builds momentum slowly. Uh, it's not a show I think that hits the ground running. It is a show that takes a while to get there. But again, in terms of this slightly surreal, very sort of Spartan, sanitized production design they have for Lumen, the place in which he works, the idea that you know that that concept of severing your personality, so you have two distinct people, almost like an underclass who is your person, your innie, the person who is in your workplace, and then your outie, who's the person who goes on with their their life. And then as we get to the end of that season when you discover how those two pieces, the innie and the outie, fit together, and it floors you. And the revelations in that final episode are probably like, oh my God, I need to call everyone I've ever met right now and talk about this, except no one's watching it because it's on Apple. Guys, please subscribe to Apple. These shows are amazing. I think the finale is is, is an all-timer. The, the, oh, know, yeah. yeah. So it so brilliantly builds to that, you know, all the way through. And it was a bit of a slow burn. I think, what I, yeah, from memory, what I, I, find, I found the... First episode, the first couple of episodes, a bit irritating in their in just the way they're very um, slightly. I found it slightly contrived. I think to start with, yeah. but then you just completely get immersed in it because it's such a high concept, and it's so and and the more that concept is explored, the better the show got for me, and it ended up being an absolute classic. I mean, there's no doubt. It is a classic. And they're, you know, they're well into season two. They started shooting season two a couple of months yep. ago. So that's exciting. Uh, and we'll get that. I hope we get it next year. I don't know if we are getting it next year. I hope we are. Right. That's, it. that's That's number two. Severance, number two. Which means there can only be number one, boy. There can only be one number one. I mean, literally, <laughs> because that's maths. But there can only be one number one. And it is, I think it's safe to say, the show that I was least interested in at the start of this year. A show that I could have cared less about. And yet here we are. It's Andor. Mm. This is like your personal journey, I feel, number one. Yes. Like reflecting of, yeah. 
but, but you're with brilliant. me, right? No, I, it's not my. It's not. It's not the best of the year. It, I'm, I'm with you that it's really, really great. It was brilliant. Do you know a slight? So I'm thinking about this. Why wouldn't it be in my number? It wouldn't be. I don't think. I think it'd be probably like four or five in my list. Um, okay. Uh, the list that we came up with together. But carry on. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, no, completely. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know. Um, I think I love the second half of it. I. I. For me, the whole kind of um, caper heist storyline. Yeah. I could live without. So the heist, because bear in mind, heist was the middle act. So you had the yeah, okay. you had the first act, then you had the sure. heist, the middle then you act. Had the yeah, other I bits. Think, yeah. I think it takes a dip with the middle act. I and were I right to watch it again, and I and I can imagine watching some of it again. I, I would probably fast forward through the whole middle. I oh think my that, god! Yeah, sorry, <laughs> James is like, oh god, can't believe it. <laughs> but I don't think it particularly uh, like it was a lot of episodes, right? It was and and, and almost valid to have that number of episodes 12 was it i think so don't get me wrong i i, I really enjoyed most and it was actually like a gazillion times better than you could ever have imagined and it yep. definitely and the the prison break episode it was yes. absolutely phenomenal episode 10 episode one 10. way out and I, you know the casting was fantastic um everyone you know kind of minor roles played by brilliantly fantastic oh. Character so actors, many good people. So many good people. And Stellan Skarsgård. I, I love Stellan Skarsgård. He's, an, he's yes. one of my, the greatest actors. And just, I could watch him doing it. But Denise Goff particularly. As yeah. it, well, all these British, great British actors got to, to play these really crucial roles. I loved all that. Andy Serkis, Fiona Short. So, so I'm really with you on how it was really great. But I, I, don't think, I don't think it quite achieves classic status for me. It's a bit like, I think, if I watched it again, yeah, I don't think I'd, I'd enjoy every single episode. And that's, that's the, again, to go back to my original point about rewatchability. There are certain episodes of this that I don't feel are like w- would withstand me going through them all over again. But, you know, I'm, I'm nitpicking. It's, it'd definitely be in my top five. Yeah. <laughs> See your number one. Well, yes, I, I think it's incredible. I mean, you're right. There is an element of journey to it because, like, we started the year with the book of Boba Fett, which was, let's be honest, hateful. <laughs> Apart from those two episodes that were basically episodes of The Mandalorian, it was a hateful, hateful thing, and I resented being hateful forced to watch is it. Such a strong yeah, word. no, it was awful. It was just awful. It was <laughs> awful, 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 awful because it is a character no one cares about who they just kind of ruined. The story was just nonsense. It was, I mean, it was just. It was the worst kind of fan fiction. And then let's have him coming in riding a rancor and oh my God, just Can't stop be it. Be careful of your br- blood pressure. No, Come it's on. just honestly, that, that, that show really annoyed me. But the only redeeming part of it was there were two episodes of The Mandalorian kind of stealthily slotted in there and I really enjoyed those. And those were almost the reason why I enjoyed this show more than Obi-Wan Kenobi, which started brilliantly on Tatooine and then again just became drivel. It just, I just like, this is fan fiction and it's just awful. And it just, it, for me... It does that worst thing where it pisses in the swimming pool. As I've said many times, it cheapens Star Wars. Like it, it ruins my enjoyment because I watched the other day. I literally did this. This is my birthday recently, and I watched for my birthday. I watched Star Wars: Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi in one day. And you can't help when you see Alec Guinness. You can't help in the back of your mind thinking, oh, "I remember that time when you were on to." No, don't think about it. Don't think about it. It isn't canon. Make it go away. Like it just it upsets me, and I don't like it. So. This is what I'm saying. So Star Wars jumped those two sharks, and then Andor, which is, let's be honest, a 12-part show about the least interesting leading man in the entire Star Wars saga, uh, who nobody cares about. And it was just that there was nothing about this show that should have worked, except for the elevator pitch, which is just Star Wars for grown-ups. And I feel, I feel like it's been so long since we've seen anything even resembling that. If you can really ever say Star Wars was that, because it's always been a very universal storyline. It was 
very adult. There was really sort of like quite disturbing scenes in this as someone being tortured by the screams of dying squid aliens like it's quite full on and the way that they broke it into segments and initially those first three which you're talking about boy those first three episodes i think before the heist maybe you're not talking about it but the bit where they're they're on uh ferrix and I, I don't know whether it was because I, I decided I didn't like that show before I started it, but I didn't enjoy them much. I thought it was fine. I was very much in the three-star camp, those first three episodes. And then they break out and you have the heist sequence, which I thought was great. And then you move on to the prison sequence, which I thought was transcendental. And it just got better and better as it went. And that show built momentum. And I just think the talkability of that show really built over time. So for me, it really was just not just not just the best show of the year, but like the little show that could, he says, of a massive little Star show. Wars, yeah. huge budget thing on Disney+. Yeah. Plus, but do you know what I mean? It was something. It was like at the Grand National, you know, when like you know Santa's little helper or whoever the the, the the horse that no one bets on is at the back, and then comes all the way and runs past all the others and ends up winning. Like that's to me what this was. It was a show I would have thought would never have troubled our top twenty list of this year, not even come close to it. And I think it's a triumph. So there you go. It also looks more like Blade Runner than Star Wars. So like it does yeah. as well, which yeah. is which is no bad thing. Okay, gonna gonna um gonna catch up with it. I could lie to you. <laughs> but no. no. She's I'm not, not going, going to. to. Okay. It's like me to. and the traitors, isn't it? It's just not going to happen. Oh, James. Um, no, no, just no. Okay, well, are there any sh- other shows you wish to shine a light on now that we've yes. gone through our yes. top 20 list? <laughs> I want to mention, okay, so we had series three, the final series of Afterlife. We did. Which was a fitting into the whole series. One of the best studies of grief. I think Ricky Gervais a genius with this series. Um, I also wanted to mention a comedy, James. I know how much you love it. Hull Raisers. I don't know if... And boy, did you watch it? Yeah, of course, yeah. Channel 4. Yeah. It's the... Um, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's the female-led com- uh, sitcom by Lucy Beaumont set in Hull um, and about a couple of sisters and a best friend and it was very, very good. And the... The last two things, one I know James will, well, both of them I'm sure he'll almost certainly hate. One was Breeders, <laughs> which I mean, I just Thank thought. Thank God you brought up Breeders. Yeah. I'm saying nothing. I just thought season three was really good. And I thought it was really like Ali was going through the early menopause. I thought it was really great. They're tackling that subject. Paul's increasingly fraught relationship with Luke. And I thought it was brutally honest and entertaining. And I really enjoyed the dark humour and anything like I just want to see more of Paul's mum, frankly. Jackie, played by Joanna Bacon, who is just a joy to watch, is a great comedy character. One of the great comedy mums, I'd say. So, yeah, I wanted to mention that. And the final thing. okay, it's a bit of a left field one. As documentaries go, genius, a Kanye trilogy. (laughs) (laughs) I think this was this incredibly in-depth thorough look at Kanye. I think it gave you the best insight into him that anyone will ever get. I know you'll probably argue this that is anyone would want to have. Can we? And I was Kanye about to say, yeah. yes, he's pre-Nazi. moved on since then. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know, on. but listen, I, mean, I know, but we've got to give credit to, I think, this really great documentary, which, you know, was pre his anti-Semitic, <laughs> his rant, um, anti-Semitic rant, but um, rants. yeah, I thought yeah. rants, plural, and mm. his like, you know, Mm. And the sequel to this presumably is just watching him on Infowars wearing a balaclava. Mm, God, I know. But anyway, this this was really good. And, you know, if you want to kind of get an insight into... Because he, you know, he was a musical genius. So... It's over now. Um, I know. I know. I know. (laughs) I will mention... Okay, there's a few I will mention. 
Um, Inside number nine gets forgotten about every year because it's just so brilliant. Every series, so I, I just always feel I need to remind everyone of the fact that let's we're not taking we don't take it for granted. Um, you know, season after season, series after series, those guys create brilliant half hour stories, a different story each week. Incredible. My favorite, one of my favorite comedies of the year, um, along with the ones Kay mentioned, was The Curse uh, on Channel Four oh, with yes. Tom Davis oh, my God, of and course. the people just do nothing gang and i did go on set of series two in gran canaria and i did have a fantastic time but that's not why i'm saying it. it's a really <laughs> brilliant show i was showing someone the picture of you and tom in character just this very day actually oh, and we were chortling at the height difference and his it's, costume yeah. it's a wonderful it's a, like 80s set so it's got an 80s kind of vibe it's got it's it's a very funny kind of pastiche of those certain type of kind of cop crime drama going on. It's really, the, the Tom Davis's character has just got the funniest way of expressing <laughs> himself ever. It's a it really brilliant, good. brilliant show. So if people haven't watched The Curse, catch up with it. I think it was very early last year, wasn't it? Pretty early. Um, I hope people can catch up with it on Channel 4. You know all four, by the way? Do you know, do you know about this? All four, the streaming service, Channel 4 streaming service that was originally like something called something else, 4OD. 4OD is now just going to be called Channel 4. Do you know? What? Yeah. They're just so basic. What? Yeah, I know. It's insane. So why? Just, because it's Because it's mad. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know no. why. Because I think cause Come like, on. all four never caught on because people kept saying 4OD. So they've gone, right, let's I mean, I forget, still call it 4OD. Yeah, let's forget the whole <laughs> all four era. We're just going to call it Channel 4 now, apparently. Just call it happening. 4OD, for well, God's sake. there you go. Oh, anyway, God. I want to mention Doctor Who. The finale, I was I really loved the finale. Um it had looked through the entire kitchen sink at it. Chris Jimnall, the showrunner, was like, I'm gonna get everything in this show. Past companions from like literally the sixties, you know, from nearly sixty years ago. I love watching that. I watched that in a cinema with like cast members, and there was the excitement in the room was brilliant with Jodie Whittaker there. And I really loved the um the regeneration scene, the surprise regeneration scene. Spoiler alert. Very much looking forward to the return of Doctor Who later next year. Heartstopper was a brilliant um, that um, adaptation of the gay romance between two um, high school boys was brilliantly handled in every way and acted and was really um, heartwarming and brilliantly fed. If Hacks, especially the second season, we had, we had to wait ages and ages for Hacks, but it, it, that was absolutely worth it when it arrived. And the second season with an amazing lesbian episode of um, The Ship of Lesbians um, was phenomenal. Gangs of London I really enjoyed. People slagged it off. I don't know what the fuck they expect, but it, was a, it is a very hugely entertaining, spectacular show. We had, what's his name on the... 200th episode live. The sh- we we did indeed have Corin Hardy. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Corin Hardy. Uh, throwing out bandanas left, right, and centre. Um, the capture, which we also had. Oh, which so was good. Screen. Yeah. That was a brilliant episode. The only episode of the capture. <gasps> Too much was good TV. Yeah, I'm nearly finished. I'm still going on. Um, the boys. I enjoyed the boys more than ever this year. Yeah. I thought that that had an amazing. Was it? I think it was the only episode with the giant penis and the man, <laughs> the exploding yes. man, and all of that yeah, was absolutely right. incredible. <laughs> Stuff you've never seen on TV before. <laughs> Ozark. We have a lot of people telling us we've got yeah. to fucking pay more attention to Ozark, and I have to admit, I st- I still haven't fucking finished that show. I absolutely do appreciate how good it is. I really, really like it. I think it's brilliant, and I, I'm, I'm now I've got to finish it. And I, when I finish it, I probably will admit that it should be in the top 20, at least, of shows of the year. Euphoria, um, uh, Terry Wyatt picked us up on that when we uh, when we revealed the top 20. It, it, it was a brilliant show. More variable, but certain episodes of Euphoria were amazing. Um, Karen Peary was my favourite new cop drama. Brilliant, brilliant job that they all did on Karen Peary. Um, that might be in my top 20 if I really think about it. 
I loved that. Um, and there was like three feature-length episodes. Ian McKenney, uh, who's also yeah. in The Curse with Tom Davis, did an amazing job adapting those that, that book. Only Murders in the Building, love it, as entertaining as ever. Love the last series. Okay, I feel like now you're just listing I'm everything. You're listing <laughs> all the shows. I've nearly finished. Two, uh, The Lazarus Project and Bastard Son and the Devil himself, yes. sadly cancelled. Oh, yes. Both, Both fantastic Joe Barton yes. efforts. We really love good shows. his writing. Brilliant Lazarus shows. is coming back, though. Bastard yes. Son did get cancelled, but Lazarus is coming Lazarus, back. filming Lazarus right now, I believe, in, in, yeah. the, in London, in that London. And finally, and Kay mentioned this right at the beginning of this podcast that feels like 10 years ago now. It feels like <laughs> another lifetime. But it I just finished the third episode of I Hate Susie 2, you mentioned mm. that scene with the blood and the land, the first episode, yeah. which is, but it's a, absolutely as good as the original series. And, and there's, I think it's better. High, I think season two might, is better than be the first better. series. Yeah, it might be better. But the, what it has to say about celebrity and um, there's so many incredible references in it and jokes, really near the knuckle jokes. It goes even further in, in a way than season one. But as people who work for Heat, I think maybe I feel like I really recognize. <laughs> So much of what goes on in that show, where it comes to co- interviewing people, dealing with agents, yeah. <laughs> uh, agents and publicists are so spot on. Oh my god, they're amazing. Her new agent and publicist are phenomenal, brilliantly observed characters that I've just like I've dealt with these people. It's almost horrific to me, actually. I literally get all the yeah. chills. Like, oh my god, got I've PTSD. literally dealt with this. <laughs> yeah, I've dealt with these fucking angry people <laughs> protecting their client, and she's just amazing in it. Just. So yeah, a, a very very late entry into um, into one of the shows of the year. I hate Susie too. There you are. I knew I'd finish eventually. Kind of. I just thought of a. I just oh, thought of see? a. I know. No, no. It's just quick TV moment. Which I mean, it's a show that obviously we wouldn't do. But how could we forget the talking penis on yeah, Pam and Tommy? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, that, yeah, was that a is moment. true. Well, no, yeah, we covered Pam and Tommy. We absolutely covered that Pam and Tommy. Yeah. 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 Uh, yes, I mean, that was the talking penis episode. Was quite something. Penis Lest we forget. In. Raised and Ellis yeah. in a recent podcast <laughs> was talking about how penises are all the rage on TV. They're definitely oh, in, man. It's incredible. <laughs> Euphoria had loads of them as well in the last season. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It was. We we wanted to do a roundup in the magazine of all of the penis action that's been oh, on TV this year. We were going to call it members only, and it was going to be brilliant, but it got killed at the last minute. Well, there you go. Unfortunately, still um, there's still time. There's still time. So things I would mention. I'd mention Station Eleven only because it's one of these shows that I feel like all of us bailed on. Like all of us bailed on and never finished. And I feel that that was kind of egregious of us. We really should have finished that show. Uh, Peaky Blinders finished this year. Oh, Don't know yeah. if anyone remembers that. Yeah. Uh, final season of Peaky Blinders it was, was good. this year. Yeah, it was good. It wasn't the best season, uh, and it felt like it took a while to get where it was going, but it had some great moments in it. Uh, I enjoyed that an awful lot. And the Sandman, Boyd's masterpiece of the year, I think we can all agree. But that's coming back. Very excited about yeah. that on Netflix. Sandman was great. That was my surprise um, of the year, actually. I forgot. Yeah, if you yeah. want it, absolutely. I did do a 180 halfway through, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fantastic. The Flat Share, which was, one of, <laughs> Sorry. which was one of my oh, surprises. Oh, your Flat Share. I love the mention of Flat Share. I loved the Flat Share. That's uh, a surprise. Yeah, yeah. It was a uh, it, it was a delight to be honest. It was exactly what I needed at that particular point. I thought it was it was sweet and it was romantic and it was heartwarming. It was all the things I kind of wanted from that show. Um, what else have we got? She Hulk. We haven't mentioned She Hulk. That final episode of She Hulk, like whose show is this? Is mental. Like genuinely, properly, like pause the show and be like, what is happening? Uh, I thought that was genius. Genuinely, genius. in a year that you know, Miss Marvel, I thought had some good episodes, but 
became a little bit generic. Moon Knight, I thought, started really well and then became a bit generic. I thought She-Hulk is many things. It cannot be accused of being generic. I thought it was a really bold uh, and progressive attempt bold. to, to, bold. to bring that character to life. Very bold. bold. We use that very word bold. a lot, but it bold, is. Bold, bold. It was a very, very smart show. I like that a lot. Obviously, seeing the expanse, I won't go into that again. From, I really enjoyed. We finally got that, uh, which is from, which was the one where the lead character, Sheriff Boyd, you'll oh, remember, yeah. Uh, yeah. where they're stuck in the town yes. and they can't get out. I watched yes. all of that, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Westworld, our dear departed Westworld, since cancelled and then yanked from HBO Max. Uh, that was one that I really enjoyed, the uh, fourth season of that. What else is there I can talk about? The Sinner season four. The Sinner oh, came yeah. back for the fourth season of that. Really enjoyed that. We yeah. took a while for that to Very come. Good to the uk uh but it was well worth waiting for for bill pullman's return in that reacher i really enjoyed reacher reacher obviously season two of that is either filming or has wrapped at this stage but really excited to see that come back i thought that was a lot of fun that was a weekend for me just binging that whole thing loved it one thing that hasn't made me happy this year is star trek star trek uh, discovery yeah. season four was mm. thoroughly disappointing and picard season two was frankly even worse so it's not been a good year for Star Trek at all. I've not been happy, but the less said about either of those, the better. And frankly, while we're on the subject, The Walking Dead Season 11, the final season of The Walking Dead, was also had its moments, but the finale was a disappointment. We haven't mentioned Peacemaker. That was a really good show. It took a long time to come to these shores, but for the opening title sequence alone, that is genius. Really funny, really smart. Love what Gunn did with that. Uh, and frankly, I hope he brings some of that sensibility to the DCU, the new reinvigorated DC universe, which he has now taken over. What else have we got? I want to mention The Last Kingdom, which finished this year. One of my favourite shows. Really enjoyed The Last Kingdom. Sad to see those, Vi those Vikings go away. We got Vikings Valhalla. Not quite the same, but I quite enjoyed that. So that's a little bit of a replacement for you. Also, Stephen Knight. Obviously, Moon Knight. I really enjoyed Stephen Knight. But, I, you know, I, I, I can't say that that show finished on a high. But it was, you know, it was fun at moments. Time Traveller's Wife. The Time Traveller's Wife. This was another one, Kay. This was another one of those unexpectedly on-brand things. Well, I love The Time Traveller's Wife. Like, absolutely loved it. And then, you know, they didn't finish it. Like, crucially, they didn't finish it. It's just a, it's a little book. They didn't finish it. And then it got cancelled. So we're never going to know how that ended. So I'm borderline furious about that as well. Um, Halo came to Paramount Plus, the adaptation of the TV of the uh, video games Halo. Really enjoyed that. Uh, oh, flawed. It was a lot of fun. That. Cool. Yeah, I liked Halo. Yeah. I liked Halo a lot. Which of the year films would you pick? 1883, 1923, or 1889? <laughs> yeah, do you know what? Uh, that's a very good question. Eight, the, the one on the ship, which one was that? Yeah, that's 1889. Uh, that yeah, was, 1883 is Cowboys, Yellowstone yeah. Cowboys, and yeah. 1923 is Harrison Ford Harrison and Helen Ford. I haven't watched the that yet. Wins. I haven't watched that no, yet. No, time, right. time is seen. But I really liked 1899, 18, which is the ship one. I thought that yes, was great. the ship yeah. one. The ship yeah. one. I enjoyed 1883. I think that's great. I'm going back to that. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying a bit of Old West action uh the undeclared war was brilliant oh, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. was great. I haven't mentioned that. We had Simon Pegg on. We had Pegster on. Yeah. That was good. That was yeah. really, really good and was terrifyingly prescient as well. Yeah. Um, what else have we had this year? Uh, Tulsa King, Sylvester Stallone came to TV. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, Kay's, Kay's earphones, by the way, about to run out, just in case, you know. Okay, just, good. Just, just good. So if we lose Kay. I mean, it's not like Kay's been listening anyway, <laughs> no. so I'm not sure it I really mean, matters. The left, the left, I can't hear you in the left ear, so it's only a few moments before the right goes as well. And okay. so I'll bid you farewell now. No, Fair don't enough. Us, yeah, you're still there. You're still power going on, Kay. 
You, okay. Yeah, just wait. Okay. Uh, so yeah, Wednesday, Willow. And the last thing I want to mention is obviously Strike, Troubled Blood. I was very excited to have Strike back. So yep. uh, those, I think, were the highlights of my particular year. Now, <laughs> we've been going for a while now. I was going to bust out the post bag so we can oh answer some God. questions before we went. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> let's do that very, very briefly because like people took the time to send in some questions. So I feel like we should at the very least address said questions. Okay. Uh, so... Yeah. Okay, so this is like kind of as water's running out, dribbling out of, uh, of like a <laughs> still. Okay. It's quite exciting. Okay. Like so Siobhan says, hi, everyone. Question for the postbag. Considering so many people rewatch Christmas movies each year, are there any Christmas TV episodes that are worth a rewatch? Mm. Easy. The Office Christmas specials were on last night as we speak on BBC Two. And I were tweeted they? about it and Ricky Gervais retweeted it. And thousands of people were like, oh, my God, it's amazing. Absolutely fantastic. The Office Christmas specials. Watch them. Also, um, Gavin and Stacey Christmas special, yes. which I one one of my family members texted me because are you in it? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. The, the first one. So yeah. annoying. I can't yeah. I can't ever like escape you. I <laughs> yeah, <I'm laughs> just resting in my house. Oh, yeah. yeah, and then they're like, every oh. time it's on. Yeah. 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 So I, I got a screenshot of that as if I hadn't seen what you look like before. And the royal family, of course, as well. Yes. Yeah. And only for some some of them. Oh, classic. Yeah. There's loads. Comedies. You're in all of loads these, of boys. <laughs> no, I'm only actually in um, uh, Gavin Stacey, yeah. Uh, okay, fine. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey Card. Jeffrey Card has sent in the following message. Jeffrey Card? I shall read it verbatim. For the record, though I've enjoyed my fair share of podcasts, tradition of ribbing James, I do want <gasps> to mention that his taste in television is remarkably close to mine. I, oh. too, have a hard time enjoying cringe comedy and dramatic bellendery. I love both <laughs> high-end and B-grade science fiction and fantasy shows, and I've even lost interest in unscripted shows and basic procedurals over the years. So, I'm wondering if we could each take a moment to say something kind and appreciate James's valuable perspective on the <laughs> oh, world of television. Returning to our regularly scheduled mocking banter. And then he puts in brackets at the end, my favourite part of writing this is the fact that James will have to read it aloud to his co-hosts and sound like a twat. Yes, he sounds like a man. Like, as if you just pluck that just by coincidence. You've actually sort that out. Okay, listen, no, I will say that James probably is, you know, the majority. And you have a lot of people who love all the shows you like. Yeah, he does. What was his name again, this guy? His name was Jeffrey Card. Jeffrey Card Jeff. sounds like a fake my name mate to Jeff. me. Jeff Cott. He's making it up. It's one of my aliases. Yeah. It's a burner account. No. That I yeah. use. Exactly. No, Je- no, Jeff's got a point. Yeah, I mean, I see it on Twitter sometimes. Everyone like loving the shows that you wang on about. It's just you know sometimes. Is it a coincidence my batteries and my earphones are going? <laughs> no, you just go do no, that. No, it's not. Yeah, exactly. So. I, I can't I can't stop ribbing you though because that would be ridiculous. Ribbing, fair That's enough. That's what I'm here for. That is that yeah. is your primary role here. It mm. must be said. Uh, Boyd hasn't said anything nice, by no, the way. Boyd has nothing Just nice from... to say, do you, Boydy? Well, we've agreed. I've, I've said how much we agreed on, for example, Shining Girls. So I, that is I, true. I, yeah, that's I true. exaggerate. That we often true. do agree, actually, more often than than you'd imagine. Yeah, there we go. Mm-hmm. We both okay. appreciate genius television <laughs> there you go yeah that's fair we bond over that so we that's bond over nice. that. neil collins says other than stuff that's already been announced what are your predictions or hopes for the coming year oh i think he's he's he i think he's specifically going for shows that could be rebooted books or films that could be adapted so i think he's saying stuff that hasn't already been announced but sorry oh. uh neil i'm gonna hijack your question and actually say instead of that i'm curious like what are you guys most looking forward to in the tv world next year Ooh, uh, straight out of the traps. I'm excited about Succession yeah. coming mm. back in oh, spring. Yeah. yeah, That's a no-brainer. And another thing, I think I've mentioned this before. I know I have. Daisy Jones and the Six. 
that is coming out on the 3rd of March Prime Video, which I'm very excited about. Reese Witherspoon's behind it. So, you know, it's going to be a quality production and it is the adaptation of Taylor Jenkins Reid's book. So, um, and it's got some big names that I can't remember, but I'm excited about that too. Yes, I am looking forward to also Succession. I mean, above and beyond anything, but Nolly, which is Russell T. Davis's new show. I went on mm. set for that and that's going to be excellent. Um, Are you in it? Not that I know of. Not that I know of, no. Okay. And uh, Helena Bonham Carter is in that. Very exciting. Uh, I ha- you and me, which Russell T. Davis exec produced. Uh, by very- this is a Russell T. Davis uh, uh, heavy uh, thing. Is a, is a three part contemporary love story with Harry Lorty from Industry. Oh my god! I cannot. <laughs> I knew there was a show. Uh, I can't right? believe you forgot. James Sentless list. Boy, day, what are you doing? I'm going to somehow blame James for this. James, of course, it's my fault. James sent us a list of every single show known to man slash woman that we didn't include in the top twenty. I don't think it included. Industry, which is one of my favorite shows of the year, that it should didn't. Be, yeah, it didn't. But it included some um, duplicates. I know it did. I know it. Did. Sorry about well, that. Well, <laughs> but no industry. Please, God, forgive me. Industry should would, it will be in my top ten or whatever. I love industry. So anyway, Harry Lorty from Industry, who I also interviewed for this very podcast, plays a young guy who whose entire life has changed in this extraordinary thing that happens in the beginning of it. It's also got Jessica Barden from the end of the effing world and Sophia Brown from Kiri Haji, and it's really, really. I might have seen it. <laughs> It's, I'm just thinking about what the fucking uh, embargo is on it, but I might have seen early glimpses of it and it looks really good. That's going to be on ITVX soon. Unforgotten, the new series of Unforgotten. Yes. Ooh, yes. yes. With, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which you may, may not have seen some of. Exactly. Um, which James <laughs> may or may not have interviewed Sanjeev Bhaskar for. <laughs> with the great, joined by Sinead Keenan, who I know right. quite well is wonderful casting as the new joint lead character. The new season of You... Which um, with where which takes place largely in London, and was filmed here and includes uh, English writers contributing to it. Some of whom I know. Again, uh, Netflix ninth of February. Can't wait for you because you is the uh, that is the ultimate guilty pleasure. Like absolute load of old nonsense, but brilliantly entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm looking forward to Fleischman is in trouble, which is an adaptation of the Taffy Brodus Ackner. What's it called? Fleischman is in trouble. Mm. Brilliant novel. I can't believe you haven't heard of the novel. It's really no, I classic novel. Yeah. yeah, it came out a few years ago. Jesse Eisenberg. Um, it's about a divorcee whose ex-wife suddenly disappears, leaving him to look after the kids. That's all getting brilliant reviews in America. Comes to Disney Plus at the end of February. Again, that's taking so fucking long to it out. Disney Plus. We should have a like insist on some kind of you know summit meeting with those people. <laughs> An intervention. <laughs> An intervention. Um, the Mandalorian next season. I'm looking forward to. Uh, also Disney Plus. Yes. Um, Shrinking Apple TV Plus comedy with Harrison Ford, yeah. written the by anti- Brett Lasso, and written by Brett Goldstein. Yeah, unbelievable. And, and Bill Lawrence, who uh, yeah. obviously responsible for Ted Lasso. Exactly, and that is on my our, our, our Apple TV previews thing. I think I saw it the other day. I'm going to watch that over Christmas. Um, very excited about that. Ted Lasso itself, as you say, very excited about that. Just very excited all the way. Oh, and Doctor Who, the 60th anniversary special starring David fucking Tennant. Uh, yeah. Who can... I mean, that TV doesn't get much more exciting than that. Uh, and The Curse 2 and Big Boys 2. Have I not m- mentioned enough? I think I have. Okay. Uh, I would add to that The Rig, which comes, I think, in January, which looks loads oh, of fun. Yeah. Saw the trailer for that. That's a lot Martin of fun. Martin Compton. Uh, indeed. Uh, Wheel of Time, I think, is back next year. Obviously, Boyd, you'll be over the moon about that one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, what else is happening? Carnival Row comes back oh, for season two for its second and final season. Yeah. Some fairy action there. Looking forward to that. I'm actually weirdly optimistic about Picard season three as well. Even though Picard season two was dreadful, season three comes next year, and I want to say February, and uh, it has the pretty much all of the original Next Generation cast back. So that's that. You know, they they got one last chance with me. One last chance. Uh, Yellow 
Yellow Jackets, though, is back for season two. That's, oh, yeah. that's exciting. A lot of people complained um, that Yellow Jackets wasn't in our list. I think that's before, didn't it officially start last year? Is that why it wasn't I, I don't know. Uh, no, we didn't left it out. I mean, that is I a can't controversial remember. I thing. I can't remember if it started in this year or the year before. Okay. Like, would it have made our top 20? I don't know looking at it, to be honest. It certainly it certainly was one of the good shows of the year, but I don't yeah. think everything on this but was great. One the, so. that, 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 the one that... A couple of shows that people have mentioned most often is not out that we overlooked yeah. that. I and can't remember whether the one that just didn't make the list or whether it was disqualified, but either way, it's not on it, so it doesn't matter. Uh, Masters of the Air is one that I'm excited about as well, which is kind of like follow-up to Band of Brothers in the Pacific, produced by Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg. This has got Shuti Gatwa in it, Barry Keoghan's in it, Finn O'Shea. That looks really good. I think we get Squid Game Season 2 next year as well. That's exciting. Uh, you know, it's no Derry Girls, but X-Men 97, I guess, scratches the same time timeline itch for us so uh, if you want to get some 90s action that's that's coming out too so uh so yes i would say there are some things to get excited about next year time for probably just one more question because i've kept kate in particular is eye rolling at me so i'm sure wishes to go just because my my earpod my pods are gonna go soon it's fine. It's all good. It's all good. So Gold Coast James says, uh, your bigger missions for me this year would be Yellowstone, Boyd, watch more, and For All Mankind, James, still the greatest show mm, you don't yes, watch. And then point. he says, oh, and bloody hell, Andor was so good. He's absolutely right, though. Uh, I do need to watch For All Mankind desperately. Uh, that is definitely very near the top of my list. Yellowstone, less so. I'll watch 1889, I think. But I and maybe even 1923, but original Yellowstone, which Nick Dissemblin of Empire is currently plowing through. He's really enjoying oh, really? Yellowstone. Yeah, does he's, he on like a, it? he's on a Yellowstone tear. He's loving it. He does think it's trash, but he's loving it. <laughs> um, so I think that's broadly speaking all we have time for. Would anyone like to give us any closing thoughts, any words of wisdom for Christmas <laughs> and the coming year that you wish to share? Um. Ooh. Don't don't kill your family and catch up on all the good TV we've been talking about. That's this, kind of a motivational. Is, these are wise words. Yeah. Wise words. Mm. Um, That's what I'm going to use for the Christmas holidays. It's going to be my catch up session on all yeah. the shows this year that I've been had a chance to catch up on. Yeah, same. Yeah. Um, no, I think thanks very much to everyone for listening. In fact, all the, the feedback, the post bag is fantastic. So we appreciate all the questions in that. And we apologise every week. There's always something we get wrong or programs we miss or stuff. Like interview with the vampire people have been mentioning to me about that people have yeah. watched. Still don't know when we're going to get to see that. I have got. I found the screeners though. I found oh, the but screeners. They, didn't they, they came and then they expired. <laughs> I know. So. But I found them somewhere. <laughs> okay. So I could watch that. Yeah. So just yeah. Thank you very much to everyone. Yes, lame, thank you everyone lame, for staying with us. It is it is very much appreciated. Uh, fine. Well, I guess that is, aside from one more special Christmas present from us, which we'll come to in just a moment, uh, that's it for this show and for 2022, uh, this review of the year special. So the show will be back on the 9th of January when we'll have a little announcement and some developments to tell you about that may mean there's even more of us in your ears than this year, but let's get into that in the new year. Uh, if you'd like to leave 2022 in style, please do head with all speed to Apple podcast or spotify and leave us a five-star rating and if you want to keep in touch with us outside of us monologuing directly into your brain then you can find us all on twitter again for now uh, and instagram at james c dyer at k ribero and at boyd hilton however before we go it is christmas and you do 
deserve a gift. And since we leave 2022 with the incredibly surprising Andor at the top of our list, what better way to round off the final show than with an Andor-shaped present? So, the superb Denise Goff plays ISB officer Dedra Miro in Andor and was one of the standouts of the show. Uh, She was absolutely phenomenal. Now, Empire's Ben Travis spoke to her just before Christmas for an end-of-season chat about how she got involved in the show, its finale, and a great deal more. There are spoilers in here. Do be warned. It's not all spoilery, but there are some in there. If you haven't seen Andor, you're not going to want to listen to this. Uh, Now, I should point out, this wasn't recorded for the podcast, so they weren't using super quality, proper broadcast mics. But I've had a listen. It's it's a lovely, it's a very long, very lovely chat, and I think actually it holds up. It actually sounds pretty good. Uh, So we thought you'd enjoy it regardless of something to do over the little Christmas break while we're not around. Uh, So our Christmas gift to you is to leave you here at the end of the show with top-notch and or chats between Ben and Denise Goff. We do hope you enjoy and that you have a very happy new year. See you on the flip side. Pilot out. Just before we get properly stuck in, the the show is incredible. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. And I knew I got to be at Soul Celebration this year, which was amazing. First time I'd ever been. And just the way people were talking about Andor, the tr- it was the reveal of the trailer. I had a little chat with Tony there as well. And it was very clear that that show was going to be something really special. And that so strongly came through over these last couple of months. It's been incredible to uh, to kind of see it unfold. Well, thanks, Ben. Yeah, I feel the same. I, I haven't ever been as proud as any of anything. I mean, I've been proud of work I've done on screen, but this is a whole other level. Working with people like Tony and his team, it was like you're working with like crazy perfectionists, you mm. know, in the best, best way, and like super cool as well. So, like, the best people are always, in my opinion, sort of the most easy to get along with you know they just yeah he's a good boss Tony Gilroy a really really good boss it's been very very special experience for me especially because I don't come from any of that you know yeah and I mean Dedra as a character as well of of the kind of tapestry of people (laughs) we're introduced to in this show and like there was I think there was a growing sort of realization because we were in talking about it in the office every week and kind of going, this show is amazing. Um, and Diego Luna's incredible. whole cast is amazing. But your performance every week, it was like, oh, that, like part of the reason we really wanted to speak to you is because, yeah, this incredible new villain has kind of come into the Star Wars universe. So I've, I've got tons of questions to ask you on that. I basically want to start by saying congratulations on being so brilliantly horrible. <laughs> I know it's funny, isn't it? Because he saw me in a play, Tony, and apparently Kathleen Kennedy said, yeah, he knew that you, he wanted you to play <laughs> Deborah. And I thought, you don't quite know what that says about me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's such a huge compliment. But, but what I love about the writers is it seems like they sort of start her somewhere and then she just kind of came into her own. Like he says himself, I think Tony was interviewed recently where he said, you know, in the writer's room, they were cheering for her. You know, here's this woman and surrounded by all these men and none of them are doing their job properly. And and then she goes to Ferrix and they're like, oh shit, what's she doing? Why is she doing that? And it felt like we were all a bit... Um, that way because it's easy isn't it to be because the sort of easy thing would be woman in a man's world 
make it all about gender. Mm -hmm. But actually, as soon as Deirdre proves herself, it it doesn't matter. Like, what I I loved that satisfaction of as soon as she kind of nailed it, um, then she was given free reign. And that's when you start to see her. But the writing allowed it to be revealed really kind of slowly, you know. And it was episode, what is it, episode nine? The interrogation. Yes. I was so excited about doing that scene. So excited. I can't tell you. Like, it was like the greatest piece of theater. Mm. And there were things that happened when I watched it. I was like, how did I get my face to twitch there? Like, I can't do that. I actually, if I try to do that for you now, it's not possible. So something really... I don't know. She's definitely ready to be seen, isn't she? Yeah. And I'm so excited about what I get to do next with her, you know? There's so many things there that I want to pick up uh, <laughs> on down the line. Yeah, I guess starting with, well, first of all, what was the play that you were in? What, what did Tony see you in? I did um, a play called People, Places and Things, which mm. started at the National Theatre, and it was about an um, actress who had... Um, who was a drug addict and she had to go to rehab and and it started in the smallest theater in the national at the Dorfman and then it just became this I mean it completely changed my life I hadn't worked for like 15 months before mm-hmm. doing it and so um I had decided if I hadn't if I didn't get that part that it was done I had started teaching oh, really? and yeah and I mean loads of actors have that story you know where you're just about to give up and then something happens but this one was so profound and I remember like going into the national on my first day of rehearsals and I couldn't stop crying and one of the actors said to me you know very English stiff upper lip well you know we must be keep ourselves together and I was like no man I'm playing a lead role at the National Theatre that's my first gig at the National Theatre and I've been working for like 15 years I'm going to cry a lot and then I'll be fine. When he sees the play and then he's like, this is this is the person who's going to play Dedra, how was the character pitched to you? And how was the show pitched to you? Because it yeah, it's, see, it's I, so I, Star Wars, but it's so different to a lot of Star Wars yeah, as well. Yeah, and I didn't know he was thinking all those things. I never met Tony Gilroy when I did that play. I was just doing the play and then mm. I did another play and then, and then I did some TV and a film and I started like experiencing new things and and then I did a Game of Thrones pilot um, that didn't get picked up. Mm-hmm. And so I remember when I signed up to that, it was quite it was quite a decision for me because it was a big contract. And, yeah. and I wasn't sure that was my thing. I was afraid, first of all, that it would mean my theatre career would have to go on the back burner for like five years, maybe. Mm-hmm. And so when it wasn't picked up, I took it. Like I had a really great time making the pilot. It was great. I worked with amazing people, and then and I got paid, and then uh, and then it wasn't picked up. And I was like, "Oh, great, okay." So I got to do that, mm-hmm. but I don't have to do the five year contract. That's yeah. good. And uh, and so I arranged to go back and do another and do a play at, at, a, at one of my favorite theaters, and that was all lined up. And then I got a call. I went to India to do some a retreat, and then when I came back. I got a call from my agent saying, so Star Wars, of course. <laughs> and I thought, that's ridiculous. I said, but I'm doing this play. Like, it's all set up. She said, I think you should go, obviously, and have a conversation. 
with Tony Gilroy and I didn't know who Tony Gilroy was because I'm not somebody who used to, like now I appreciate his work so much. Once I'm introduced to somebody, I do a deep dive and I get mm. really, and I mean, he's, he's brilliant, but, but my fandom is in the theater. So, you know, I know theater people <laughs> and the, so I went to meet this man, Tony Gilroy, and he was talking to me a lot about this project. And, and he went to either go to the loo or pay the bill. And I said to the casting director, shouldn't I be like telling him what I can do? Usually it's me. I go into a room and I lay out my wares and, you know, I can do this accent and I can do it like this and I can. But she said to me, no, he wants you to do it. So he's telling you about it. And it was my first experience of having someone pitched to me. Wow. Okay. And he asked me, are you into Star Wars? And I said, no, not really. <laughs> I was going to ask he, you, like, are you a Star Wars person? Had you grown up? Have you, had you seen any of them? Was it on your yeah, radar at all? I think I saw them when I was a kid because, you know, I have five brothers. So, mm. and I remember a toy that now I think might have been the Death Star, you know, mm. that, um, but then I thought maybe that was Star Trek. I did actually watch Star Trek with um, Patrick Stewart. But no, so it wasn't my thing. And I said, it's really not my thing. You know, I don't know any. And he said, great, that's great. He said, me neither. Mm. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> and, and the great thing about Tony was he was like a grown-up from the beginning. Mm. There was no, you can't read this. I can't talk about that. I can't tell you this. It was like all on the table. Mm. And in the world now where, you know, you should read some of the stuff I get sent when you're uh, on the auditioning trail or self-taping and, you know, you're not allowed to see the script. You're not allowed to know what you're auditioning. Like, it's so tedious mm -hmm. and because you think, you know, I don't actually care. Like, if I get the job, I'll take it really seriously and I'll really respect the world that I'm going into. But it's kind of disrespectful not to give me more information, essentially. Yeah. You know? So Tony, from the beginning, was not playing that game. And I, and I sort of said to him, could I read some? And he said, yeah, of course. So he sent me the first three episodes. Right. And I'll never forget it. I was sitting at my kitchen table and I thought, oh, this is magic. This is like it's all the kids... All that stuff. I was just like, this is amazing. It's got nothing to do with what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be loads of like descriptions of scenes where suddenly spaceships and all of that. It wasn't. It was like reading a really great play. And, um, and I wasn't in those first three episodes. So I rang him and I said, okay, so it's amazing. But I need to know, like, if I'm going to sign up, I need to know about what happens, who I am. Mm. So you did a Tony Gilroy deep dive. Did you end up doing a Star Wars deep dive at all? And did you look at any of the... Because there's so many iconic villains in Star Wars, right? But they're all, in a great way, they're all like big cloak-swooshing villains like Vader and Kylo Ren and Emperor Palpatine. They're these big, oversized roles. That is not what Dedra is. And I think that's kind of what's so interesting about her as this very different kind of Star Wars villain. So did you, yeah, did you kind of look at anything else? Did you, how did you feel coming into this universe where villains are a huge deal? I watched Rogue One. Mm. But no, I, I didn't. I thought, you know what, I don't want to have too much information here i don't want to be doing a version of something or stepping into a club i just want to play this woman 
like mm. see and then see what happens. She kept being described as badass. I remember that. So it's such an American thing. So, <laughs> so to me, she was just so. I knew she worked for the Empire, so she must be. I mean, obviously, she's bad. Mm. She believes in her cause so much. Like I went to see a play last night with David Tennant, and it's called Good, and it's really fucking brilliant. And mm. he plays an SS officer in it, and his best friend is Jew, and it's. It's absolutely fucking brilliant because he totally believes everything he's doing. Mm. And he's like, look, this is just the beginning of, we're just going to do this Jew thing and then it's going to be fine. And, and I thought, oh my God, the banality of evil, mm-hmm. you know, that's what makes it scary, right? It's if you have people who really believe in their cause and have probably got, you know, reasons why they need to be seen like that and why they need order and everything that's really scary yeah because that's where real damage happens that's something that i wanted to ask because i'm fascinated by dedger as a character and about the show as a whole like the way that the show very clearly unpicks all of these different strands and facet facets of how fascism operates how it kind of operates in the big ways and the small ways and one thing I was intrigued with in terms of Dedra, because I want to come back in a second to um, the fact that we are weirdly sort of rooting for her at the same time. I've been wrestling with the fact of how much Dedra's belief in what the Empire is doing kind of remains the same through the series, whether she starts to believe it more and more as she gains more power within that structure, or whether she has that same level of devotion from the beginning, even when she has no power. Because she's clearly very driven from the off, but you see when she's given that little modicum of power, she runs with it. Yeah, don't you think it's like at the beginning, she's given this much to focus on, Mm -hmm. so she nails that much. Then she's given this much, so she nails that much. And then it just keeps growing outwards. So Mm -hmm. she starts by, she has to fix this problem in the middle, that star path unit. Something's going on with that star path unit. And then she breaks it out into here, so it started, I guess it grows, yeah, but the, the focus, I mean, I think people, she needs to catch Cassie and Andor, but her eye is on Axis, her eye is on Luce and Rail, she doesn't know that's who he is yet, but um, yeah, I think it's it's kind of directly relative to how much space she's given, she'll fill that space with her need for order there's so much to there's so much in this character yeah, and in this show. no no this this is this is great i mean yeah i felt so many mixed emotions at the end of the season you're you're, you're so great and the character's so great that i i didn't want you to die and at the same time seeing the people of ferrix fighting back and having like even just a sense of just smashing people with bricks you know is great to see there is a real terror in your performance when Dedra's being overwhelmed, and that's really visceral to see. So then you're almost weirdly relieved when she is rescued, because for anybody it would be horrible being in that situation. But And then there's that twist that it is, it's Cyril who saved you, and their dynamic through the whole show is he's basically stalking her, he's very sinister. Um So it was this huge jumble of emotions. That I was like, I don't, know, I don't know how I feel, but I feel everything yeah, but how clever is it that you know because yes in one way me and Kyle talk about it a lot you know and also with what we'll do and what both of us have to go on certain journeys in season two and uh, 
he's not actually like I know it's creepy, but the people's response to that scene outside the outside the ISV building yeah. was so much more sophisticated than I expected it to be. They mm-hmm. saw stuff in it that was like when we were playing that, I was fucking furious. How dare this? How dare he touch me? How dare but actually when I watched it I thought, Oh my god, she's never been touched. She's never been touched. This guy Yes, he's like, it can be construed as creepy and weird, but what does that do to a woman who has never been with anyone? Mm. Ever. Mm. What does it, 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 it's, it's just fucking mind. It's like you're, you start going into, do I like them? Are they meant to be? Oh God. And that's Tony and Bo and Dan, the writers. That's mm. just like how you absolute creeps. How did you manage? to make all of that. What, what's it like for you? Because, I mean, all the people you've mentioned, but the, the Stellan's um, monologue at the end of episode 10, the, like, I burned my life monologue, Marva's, uh, like, posthumous monologue in the finale. But what's it like for you? Because you get so much great dialogue as well. I think especially of that scene, um, I think it's, it's episode six, where you basically win round everyone in the room. And it's you and Ben Bailey Smith. <laughs> and um, so what's it like when you get that scene and you're like, oh, look, look at what I get to play here. Look at look at the words I get to speak. Kind of, it was interesting because my first day was the scene where I go in to get uh, the information I'm not supposed to get. And I have to mm. say I need a multi-sector data blend going back two years. And I couldn't do it. Like, I couldn't get the word. I couldn't get my mouth around the words I knew it up here, but then when I tried to perform it, I was like, "Oh my god, how do I do it?" And Ben Karen and I sat in the corner of the set, and I was like, "You don't understand, Ben. All anyone has told me for the past five years is that I'm really excellent at acting, and now I'm really not. Am I? This is terrible." And he was really trying to help me, and um, and so I had to. I had a real learning experience that day, and I went home and I had to approach it. I realized I needed muscles that I only use usually on stage. Mm. That's what I needed for that, for that language to come out and sound like it's like really interesting language. Cause yeah. it's not very, like, it's very, look at what Anton Lesson is doing. You know, he makes, Tony says he makes ex- exposition sound like sonnets. And mm. that's what, so when I knew, okay, so I have this scene. So I had to break it all down into, okay, well, she's winning. She fucking hates Blevin. Um, <laughs> he has been particularly patronizing to mm. her. But she knows that she has, she knows that she had, she's right. Like by the time I got to the interrogation, I was like, let me add it. I love this so much because I don't get as much emotional stuff. Like all the others have, you know, Luther, that speech is like poetry. It's so beautiful. I I get the more technical sort of very 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 clean clear. <laughs> I love it. And that was I was terrifying my, for a second there. Because <laughs> in my career, everything I do is deeply emotional, mm. and so I'm always the one making those. You know, I I sacrifice my life speeches. So to be in something where absolutely everything is just like this, it's completely. All it is, and then the twitching started, and I was like, I don't know where the hell that's come from, but yeah, let's do that. I wanted to ask about that because the the, the Dedra face is just an incredible thing. Do you, do you relish being able to put all of that, 
all of that spite <laughs> into those expressions and know that um especially with this not being on stage that the camera's up in your face that people are going to see everything in your like facial performance once I figured it out, once I thought, then it became really place. And like Ben Karen and I had such a laugh because I was like, he gave a note once where all the other characters had to, he was doing close-ups of their faces and they all had to do like side-eye, like they were like this. And I said, I don't think Deirdre does side-eye, Deirdre does this. And he was like, oh my God, that's fucking great. And I said, let's do like, and even, so he let me watch it and then we go, okay, let's do her eyebrow like a little bit less. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was, it's the most, it, it's so satisfying. It really is. Because yeah. you're painting, you get to paint a picture and then this face that I have like a naturally downturned mouth. Like my mother used to always say to me, you need to smile because you can look quite sour if you don't. And I was like, well, now that's sour face. Um, yeah. And I don't, and people don't recognize me. I have people few people have started recognizing me in the street are sort of mm. doing that and i think it's because i'm quite smiley in my life yeah so all i have to do to hide is smile, smile. And- i, I want to come back to something that we've kind of touched on a little bit but the, this fact that you do weirdly find yourself rooting for her like seeing her in this like crusty man's world uh, also i think the fact that like the side that she's playing for is so inherently evil but she is right but she's awful, you know? No, but it's so brilliant, isn't it? Because she says it herself. That's what I do. She thinks exactly like them. Yeah. And she's, she can figure out... She is a rebel. Like, she is... She just... Like, if, if she didn't believe so strongly in order and white uniforms and everything being really fucking tidy, like, she's an absolute minimalist. There's no way she could go and live up a mountain. And part of that fear that she has in Ferrix is that she's in her white coat being dragged along the floor like mm. she is like Luthen just the other side of it so it's it's all that sort of duality isn't it which is that is life for every it's the two sides of the same coin and people call it her and Cassian are the two sides of every coin but I believe it to be Luthen to me Dedra she, she doesn't burn her life but she, she just blocks everything else out. It's like she's so... She completely ices. Yeah. Everything is iced out. Everything. So she he burns it. So there's an energy of that to it. But Dedra's is just as painful. It's like frozen. Yeah. She's frozen everything. That last episode was extraordinary. The, the Ferrix uprising. Just take me back. What, what were those days on set like with all those people, the scale of it, the, the town, it looked like you guys built the town. What what was the experience yeah, of shooting acres. that finale? Yeah, it was eight acres of mm. town. Like, I arrived on it and I was like, oh my God, these, there's shops, there's restaurants, there's a bar, there's a pool table. There's like all of this life here already, which is so, such a privilege that we had that. And, you know, my first day was Ferrix. My first day was Dedra getting... So Fiona's voice was like over all of us except at the end she didn't say fight the empire she said fuck the empire which really we all, yeah but we weren't allowed to keep there obviously um, but we got that that was the version we got so and then i was working with ben karen who was just like a kid in a sweet shop so there was a real atmosphere of joy and then i was given my two death troopers one of whom had to really be trained by the ss boys to like run 
like a death trooper and not like a musical theatre star, which was so funny. Yeah, it was amazing. And I did this, like I couldn't help myself. I just started doing the dun, 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 and then everyone started and it was all, <laughs> that was one of the only days I met Stalin um, really? at work. Yeah, because we don't have anything together. Yeah, of course. Um, I never saw Diego. Did I see him? Yeah, I never saw him. You, you're trying um, to get Andor the whole season, but... I know, and I never... We met once on when he just came around to say hello to everyone. Mm. And But yeah, there were people I never saw. Genevieve, never saw Genevieve, yeah. never saw Fiona. I actually didn't really see anyone because Deirdre was so alone. It was huge, and I'm actually, when I watched the finale, I was like, I was really proud because I hadn't built her yet. Right. And I was also so grateful to Ben Cameron. Like, I cannot tell you what a director that man is. He is, for me anyway, because you find people that you, because Toby was great, Susanna, but Ben was my director. He set up the character. He helped me, you know, initially, Deirdre was all like, you know, fixing her belts and doing her thing. And he went, it's a bit swishy. Yeah. Just don't do any swish. And he let me see it. And then he was like, just do less, right? He just said to me, just try it with your hands behind your back. And that was it. It was like suddenly everything was really economical. She became really still. And then we could go into like twitchy face golf. It was just brilliant. And you work with loads of the stunt boys and girls were amazing there's this really amazing moment where where stunt people when you're working outdoors before the stunt is getting ready before you're getting kicked and hit in the head with a brick and and they pick up all the little stones on the floor so you don't hurt yourself so everyone is standing around and then like half of them who are the stunt guys in in costume are all bent down picking the stones up and i got so emotional i was like i just love how they look after there was a lot of love on that set mm. all the time, I, I, I found anyway. I just had such, it was so exciting. Then I just want to tell you a funny thing that happened recently. I got season two through and um, we got the announcement, the yeah. letter from Chevrolet. It was all really exciting. And, and I was out in town somewhere. And as I was walking home, I bumped into Ian McDermott, who I've worked with. Like I did a play with him 15 years ago. Yeah. I said, hello, boss. (laughs) And it was just me and Ian McDermott on the street chatting. And I thought if anyone took a picture of this, it's so brilliant. Like Dedra having an undercover meeting with the emperor in Notting Hill. It was so good. (laughs) You've got the season two scripts through. Had Tony told you what was going to happen to her in season two anyway? Did you have the knowledge of that? Were you in the position of waiting for kind of what Dedra's next season is going to be? Tony is funny because he's like, oh, I got so much planned. It's so, oh, God, it's so crazy. It's so, oh, 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 he does a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, he does. And then he sends you the scripts and you're like, oh, God, how are you doing? And he's, what I really respect about Tony and what I feel I do myself is that if you're in a hit, like when my play became a massive fucking smash hit, mm. like me and my sister reading the reviews saying, oh, my God, that's ridiculous. I've never seen it that happen. Mm. And that night I went to the theatre and I called everyone to the stage and I said, okay, for those of you who read the reviews, you know, this is a smash. This is like, everyone is saying it's the best thing. You need to forget about that. Mm. You need to forget that people are saying that. Because if you take the pressure off, if you, I've seen plays be ruined by good reviews. I've seen shows die 
after good reviews. Like if you notice, The Wire wasn't getting amazing success while it was happening. It all sort of happened after, yeah. didn't it? So we're having it right now and there's great, like people are talking about it, but we have season two to do. Mm. So you have to drill down even further, like do better work so that you give the people that got on board with you at the beginning, you give them the gift of going, yeah, we're not going to just now go, yeah, we're amazing. I am going to Dedra the fuck out of the second season and I am so excited about it. Like it's so exciting. But it's nice to feel like there's a bit of like, you know, there's some flowers around. That's really yeah. good, isn't it? I, I'm sure you can say absolutely nothing, but could you can you tease Dedra's next season in a single word? What comes to mind? Unexpected, maybe? Mm-hmm. No, not unexpected. Satisfying. Ooh, okay. That's good. Yeah, it's really satisfying. It's really fucking satisfying. When I spoke to Tony at Celebration, it was on stage at Celebration where he said, oh, the first season is the first year and then season two, it's going to be four years. And I asked him about that when I had a chance to ask him the question. And um, he was explaining how it's going to keep jumping. We're going to have a couple of episodes and then it jumps. I'm fascinated to see what, what that means for, for all the characters, but especially Dedra, seeing how much she's gone through in this season and seeing where she's going to go with those time jumps. Yeah. So it's like a year passes and then you meet them for three days mm. and then another year passes and then you meet them for three days and then another year. I mean, it's, I don't know how I'm just getting my head around that, but I'm, what I'm really hoping for is to see Dedra out of uniform. That would be nice. You know what I mean? I only, I was, I would look at Genevieve's costumes and I'd be like, Oh my God, look. <laughs> and, but now, but Michael, who deserves a real shout out costume designer i did my one of my fittings and i put on an an outfit and it was so genevieve and i was like so mon mossman i can't wear this can i he was like no i was like you have created your character like the style situation michael wilkinson i just i mean everyone top of their game it's fucking brilliant i I can't imagine what dedra wears outside of that she is that i know that's her skin you know it's just like silk versions of that. My <laughs> yeah. whole version is just like a slouchy version. Like of a lounge it. version. But we were like talking about would she have jewelry? Like what mm. does she do? What would she? What would her hair do? But we'll see. It's all. Uh, it's just gonna be. I'm so excited. I saw Kyle yesterday, and we were like, "Oh my god, yeah, yeah. It's such a gift!" I'm so thrilled with it. Oh well, thank you so much for your time today. Congratulations on the season. Thanks, Ben. See you soon. Cool.